Welcome to another episode of Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon, and skeptic. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group is about networking and doing deals. This isn't your grandmother's RIA. No sales from the front ever and no smell of stale coffee, bin gay, and or disappointment. You know what I'm talking about. RDI is also this podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done and I pick their brains for your amusement and hopefully education. If you enjoy this podcast, please give it a like and share it across the internet. It really does help. If you have any questions or suggestions, if there's not, uh, if I'm not asking a question or you want follow-up questions or I didn't cover something, please reach out and let me know. So long as you're not a total loser or ass clown, go to renegadedetroit.com, renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegade Detroit investors. Go to facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. And if you want to give me a follow, see what I'm doing, you can hit me up on the Twitterverse at Jeremy Burgess. And if you prefer, you can go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. If you prefer to watch this on YouTube. Legal disclaimer, because this is the world we live in. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment and or investment decisions, that you contact a lawyer and or other licensed professionals. Be an adult. Don't fucking sue me. Show quote of the week. Time for the Renegade Detroit Investors show quote. I try and pick a quote that sets the tone for this podcast and hopefully for your week. Today's quote, he who has overcome his fears will truly be free. He who has overcome his fears will truly be free. This is by Aristotle. And I guess he was a sexist too. So if you're a woman or trans or whatever, the person who has overcome their fears will truly be free. All right. Just want to make sure this is inclusive as possible. That was by Aristotle. Without further ado, let me introduce you to my guest, Mr. Steve Londo. Steve is a full-time real estate investor with hundreds of deals under his belt, from short sales to bulk note buying and selling, to his current endeavor, wholesaling domination. This dude eats, breathes, and shits real estate investing. He got his start in the business as a title examiner, where he saw other investors' deals coming across his desk. As one might, he started asking questions, and soon he was fired for doing his real estate deals at work, he assures me he was still getting his work done. But you know how those employers are about um, you should be doing more work at work. Also, he's the best closer in action I have seen to date. Somebody should definitely know. Go to stevebuyshousesfast.com. Stevebuyshousesfast.com. If you're interested in being on his wholesaling list, go to 313cashdeals.com. 313cashdeals.com. And soon... What was the date? Flipthispodcast.com. Steve has a podcast coming out. What, what was the, the date it's coming out, Steve? First episode by Halloween. First episode by Halloween. <clears throat> You're going to want to follow that. Flipthispodcast.com. Thanks for coming out, Steve. Thanks. I know that we've been wanting to do this interview with Steve. Oh, wait, was... wait. You know what? You forgot. Oh, that's right. Oh, shit. I that's forgot right. my thing. Dude. I know. 
This is, it's not in the notes. It's not in the notes. Right, let's, let's start over again. Come on, man. Here we go. Welcome to... I have walkout music, people. <laughs> and he forgot my walkout song. How did I do this? You know, now that you've done this, everybody's going to want to do this. What could oh, this yeah. walkout music... Every day. Every day I'm hustling. Steve, Londo, ladies and gentlemen in the house. Hustling. Which is entirely accurate. I had to. And since I produced this show, why no, not? No other guests are allowed walk on music. Yeah, at least, I don't know. What about bad walk on music? I can make some circus music or something, maybe. maybe some like know. old country walk on <laughs> music, or maybe like, a, a, I don't know, a jig. A jig, there you yeah. go. Square dancing walk in music. <laughs> Thank Jeez. you for coming out, Steve. This is going to be good. I'm really looking forward to this one. I have to try and ask a lot of these questions like I don't know, so bear with me. And this is the first time, too, ladies and gentlemen, that we're doing this from another business, and a business I want to plug. And we might come back and do it here again. Normally, we're in an office or something like that where it's a little quieter. But our good friend Amanda Brewington from alwaysbrewingdetroit.com, located conveniently on Grand River in Detroit, between Southfield and Evergreen. It's right on Grand River. She gets all of her beans from local roaster Hazano, who sources his beans and also roasts them in micro batches. She serves this coffee here. It is absolutely wonderful and delicious. Two years ago, there wasn't really a local coffee shop for my wife and other investors who spent a lot of time in Detroit to go hang out in Northwest Detroit. There just wasn't anything. You can go to a gas station and get some swill, uh, if you can call that coffee. Uh, but now at alwaysbrewingdetroit.com, Ms. Amanda Brewington, you should definitely go hit her up. She's on Facebook. She's on Twitter. She's on Instagram. She's conveniently located in northwest Detroit. You should definitely come try it out. So we're going to see this. So you may hear some noise in the background. This is a fully functional brick-and-mortar coffee shop. So hopefully it's not too loud and it won't interfere too much. And if it's not, we may come back here and do it at a later date. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Steve. What's up? The beginning. So it was a spring morning in 1976. Not that far? Not quite that far back. So here you are languishing away at some point in your career. For how many years as a title agent? Oh, gosh, Examiner. like 12 years, 12 11 years, year, 13, shit. I don't know. Too fucking long. I'll way tell you long. That. Way, way long. too long. Watching deal after deal come across. And at some point, you started asking questions. I mean, how did that work? Who would you work for? How did you end up even being a title examiner? I know you worked your way up. Yeah. How did that happen? So I started out uh, as a temp, actually. Um, I moved up to Lansing to get away from the neighborhood that I was in. I was getting in a bunch of trouble. It was like, all right, it's time to get out of here. Moved up there and I started working as a temp at a, it wasn't even a title company. It was like a, like a pipeline company. Uh, they were running a pipeline from Chicago into Canada. And so they were going out and getting easements. So that's where I first learned about legal descriptions, what easements were. And, and I mean, they basically had all these easement documents that I had to review and make sure everything was right. Um, from there, I went and worked at a title company that I was just calling on taxes. So I would be the guy calling on property tax information. That was my job. 
Sounds um, like fun. Yeah. And then I would have to go to the county to do other certain tasks. Sometimes I'd have to go to the county. This was kind of pre-internet. Yeah, I was going to say, this is you can do all this, this on the internet now. This yeah. Back in the day. A few of them were then, but a lot, most of them weren't. Did you ride your horse to work? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> So from there, I just, uh, I just kind of learned, you know, the business a little bit and moved up, um, moved from job to job a lot as I learned sort of what title insurance was and, and kind of how that whole process worked. It wasn't until I moved back to Westland and was working in Southfield, um, at a title company that's not in existence anymore. And there was, it was a local company and they had a lot of investors that would come, excuse me. And, um, one guy in particular stood out he was a little younger than me actually. And he was in all the time doing these flip closings. He wasn't a realtor and I was trying to figure out what he was doing. What it ended up he was doing was flipping short sales. And so uh, okay. he was, he was doing all kinds of stuff that I wouldn't recommend, but it was the, the opening to me to go, wow, you can, so you're just some dude that, and he's not, he, he wasn't someone that I would think was a real estate investor. He was just some guy like I am. I'm like, all right, cool. So one day he came in and, and asked me to rush one of his files. Um, hi, Periscope or video. We are on Periscope, ladies Periscope, and gentlemen. At Jeremy Burgess. I'm trying to do this a little bit more because Steve gets mad when I don't. So I don't get mad. So he just accurately points out that I should be doing <laughs> it. So it's the new medium. So, um, so he, he comes in, he's asking me about, uh, you know, can you rush this file? I re- got, really got to get this one done. I got to close it by Friday, whatever it was. And he would buy me lunch from time to time. So I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll do whatever. The old nice buy the guy. title agent lunch. Hey, hey that's a good It move. worked. It's a good It move. worked. And I'm, th- I'm thankful he did because I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And I didn't want to get in trouble, but he was like, and then he just drops like $60 on my, on my desk, on my work pile. I'm like, shit. I mean, it was a 20. I'm like, oh, well, I don't. Thanks, man. I'm, I don't need, I wasn't expecting that, but that was more than I probably made in that, you know, in a day at that time. It was like, fuck, man, yeah, just for, just shit. for like helping him out, like doing my job, just kind of doing his first. I don't know. It was, it's like a tip. Yeah. It was like a tip. I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. So why are you tipping me? What, what's so important? And when I saw the end result, him walking out of closing with like a $38,000 check, I'm Hello. like, okay. So we started to talk a little bit more and I ended up uh, going door knocking with him. And I told this story on the episode with Joe Delia, but we went door knocking to pre foreclosures. And one of the first houses I knocked on the door, the lady goes, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I want to sell my house. And holy shit. Yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. So I just, I didn't know what was, yeah, you didn't even know what you were doing. Did you? I had no clue. All I did was knock on the door and say, hi, we want to talk to you about your house appropriate he who has overcome his fears will truly be free so yeah you didn't even know what you were doing you just know you need to do no something no and door knocking was your first step yeah well i just did what he told me he said a good start come come with me meet me out here saturday or whatever day it was and i drove all the way from lapeer drove down to southfield and we went door knocking in oak park and uh we he got the house locked up and uh, i don't know maybe Six weeks, two months later, I didn't, I didn't follow it that closely, but I was still trying to help him with some other deals. I actually got on the phone with a bank one time during this period because I heard him talking. He was in my office using the spare desk, talking to banks. 
about the short sales and negotiating. I'm like, well, I can do that. And uh, I'm like, well, let me try. And he was just having a hard time with this guy. So I called up and I just spouted a few things that I'd heard and read. I'd started Googling short sales and, and negotiating all that. And anyway, long story short, that first deal, he comes back and it closed and he just, he gives me a $6,000 check. I'm like, damn. Life changing. That's like probably three months. Yeah. Salary. Three months of work and yeah. a few hours. Yeah. And I, and my time in that particular deal was probably three hours total. If you count my drive, which yeah. was an hour each way. So, so that was my like, oh shit, this is for real. And so I started working. That was in 06. I started working on my own stuff at that point, and um, he kind of dropped the ball. I'm I'm wanting to do deals with him, and you know I'll go door knock and let's meet and do this and that. <clears throat> Excuse me, and he um just didn't. He wasn't as motivated, I guess. I guess not. He got that thirty eight thousand dollar check. He, he was, was good like, for a while. I'm good, and that's exactly skate. what it was. Yeah, that's a bad habit. It was, and that's kind of where I fell into the same type of habit. Uh, cause that was the first experience I had. I had never made more than $12 an hour, probably at that point, $14 an hour, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, Save for a rainy day and all that. Yeah. Well, so I started to, uh, to really dive into short sales and, and digesting every bit of information I could about it. This was in 06. It wasn't a huge phenomenon yet i mean it was, was starting to get early. bigger yeah. yeah i started doing my first short sales in 2007 yeah so you were really early yeah so 07 i did the the house uh this is the, my favorite deal ever so it's the one that got me the house i live in we did a short sale on a house in lapeer i negotiated that painstakingly for many months finally got an approval and ended up flipping it but the person that ended up buying it, I just happened to say, well, I got a house you might want. It was someone who I was going to buy their house if they could find another house. They're trying to downsize. I'm trying to upgrade. Okay, this might work out. House swap. We negotiated a uh, seller finance deal for their house. And then I flipped them the new house, closed. I made 30 grand, which I had a partner to split with, but we made 30 grand, 32. And I got to move into this great house from a trailer. So I'm ecstatic. And then they call me and say, you know what? We're not really, we don't, our deal was they had to make a part of the payment. They didn't want to do that, which who would, it was like $400 a month. So they said, we're just going to let the house go. I'm like, well, they knew I did short sales. That was one of the options I gave them up front. We're just going to go the short sale route. Okay. So I started a short sale. Back to work. Back to work. I'm living in the house at this time. And we are negotiating the short sale and then they foreclose um, full bid. So they didn't, they didn't short it at the auction at that time. They, that was rare. And they uh, basically there was a year long redemption because there's over at that time, the law was over three acres. And so we were living there. I'm like, well, I guess we're going to have to move in February of next year when the redemption's up and everything. And, all of a sudden, I get a phone call uh, several months later because they had sort of rejected my offer. I get a phone call from the bank. Is your buyer still interested in that house? You, yeah, maybe. 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 I don't, let, me, let me check. I don't know. Let me call and check. How are you feeling, Steve? Yes. If I, I wasn't living in the house at that time, I would have gone after him hard and, and got a better price. But I was living in it, and I was like, 
It's hard to imagine you I'll not going it. for a better a better price. It was hard not to. This was still early on though, too. I didn't quite have the confidence or the experience that I could do that. Um, but the funny thing is the price that when they came and did their next BPO, the agent asked, you know, well, what do you, I said, what do you think? She goes, well, this one's this and this one's, I said, yeah, I was thinking about 125. Came in at 125, bought the house for 125. Boom. They had owed like 270 something on it at the time. Wow. So that's over a 50% discount. It was crazy. Yeah. So anyway, that deal we flipped. So I bought my current house. Um, we flipped them one house and then that same couple later ended up divorcing and, and having to short sale the house again, the one I flipped them. So I flipped that one as well. You sound kind of like a soup sandwich a little bit. I hope they it's got crazy. their shit together. I think so. I, I actually ran into the guy one time. He seemed happier, but good. So, but you got a good, good house out of the deal. Yep. I'm very happy. Okay. We've done a lot of improvements to it. It was a mess, but so that was like a seller finance deal. So the, the original seller of your house, you bought that on seller financing mm-hmm. initially, mm-hmm. and then you sold a house to them that you worked a short sale on, Yep, and they bought with a traditional loan? Yep. Okay. And then they decided to stop making payments on their house. Several years later. Yeah. Several years later. And you decide, well, I'll just short sale that. They called too. me, and I short sold that too. And that one we bought and sold it with seller financing. We sold it on a land contract. And I just got paid off for the land contract in 2014, early yeah. 14. So that house is now owned by someone else and it's out of the loop, hopefully for a while. But yeah. that was pretty cool. I've short sold the same house twice. That is a rare thing, I think. Yeah. It's kind of fun, though. So you mentioned, and I, I hate to go back too far, but you mentioned that you were getting in trouble. And I, so, so this was, this is in the mean streets of Westland, Michigan, right? Yeah. Yeah. So let's. I mean, you don't have to talk about anything Westland, you don't want to talk about, but you got a rougher start in life. Uh, not as bad as some, but worse than others. Ended up doing some dumb shit. Yeah, for sure. May or may not have allegedly joined and or participated in starting a gang. What, what that's that's there? full on the record there. Yeah, that's full that, on the record. All right. That's public knowledge. Um. So, yeah, man, we. My well, parents- I ask because, you know, we're in Detroit. Mm-hmm. There's a very large hood in Detroit, mm-hmm. and you hear these these things like if you – this Marxism thing, you can't move your class or you can't change your position in life or you just can't, can't, can't. Yeah. So I'm not saying it to try and, you know, a story, but people need to hear uh, stories of people who can. Yeah. So that that's why I bring it up. So Yeah, that line of thinking is bullshit. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So Westland at the time was – you know, blue collar, it still is. I think it's a little better now. It kind of went way downhill and it's come up a little better, but we, uh, parents got divorced. I, I I think it messed me up more than I realized at the time and was, was acting out, um, just getting into, we're hanging out with the wrong people, just doing stupid, just being stupid, being a dumb teenager. It can happen pretty easily too. Yeah. And then it ran into, it turned into, uh, the gang thing. It started out as a joke, man. We got, we got a group of us started this gang because a gang popped up in our neighborhood and we we're like, who the fuck are you guys? You know, this is our neighborhood. We're all right. We're a gang too. So we weren't going to have, we weren't going to have any colors or any kind of gang signs or any of this other stuff. And the name was low profile boys. I didn't really start it. I was like sort of wave two. How'd you come up with low profile? Boys? Because we're low profile, man. We're not going to have gang signs <laughs> and all that other shit. That's what it was. 
Um, but I was all in and I was like, yeah, I was like, fuck those guys. Yeah. Cause they were really shit. They were starting a bunch of, they were doing things in our neighborhood that we didn't like, but then it really example, just spray painting stuff. And then like, you know, just beating up kids because they wanted their shoes or whatever. It was like bullying and just being thugs, like young thugs. And, um, so we were like, yeah, no. And then it just got out of control. We, that's how it started. And then because we started sort of warring, I'm making air quotes with this other group of guys beefing, beefing with this other gang, it, it just got, it escalated really quickly. Um, and they ended up, I don't know, having some sort of connection with somebody in Detroit in like the Southwest. Um, and it was one side. So we just automatically picked the other side and started, um, associating with those, those guys. These it, are real gangsters, right? real gangsters. Yeah. But the Not messed up part anymore. is, yeah, the messed up part was we grew to a point where we were huge in what Wayne Westland Inkster. And we actually were moving up into Southwest Detroit and we were recruiting those guys to join our gang. And those guys were like, man, you guys are fucking crazy. There were some really crazy people in our little group, but not proud of it now. And it's, you know, looking back, it was like we were proud of that and honored by it. Not looking back now, it's just, it's just stupid, but we earned their respect, I guess is the point. And so it started out as like a joke in a, a little backyard gang that turned into a, a big problem and it got out of control. People, uh, people got hurt. People went to prison and I saw where life was going and was very, very close to ending up there too. And said, yeah, I'm tapping out on that. And, uh, I moved to East Lansing at a good friend of mine, Russ, that lived there. And, uh, I have been going up there on the weekends to visit him. I'm trying to hold down a part-time job at a temp agency. I'm trying to separate from this life and it's not going well. I'm going up there every weekend and hanging out and not wanting to come back on Monday. So I had stayed one day too long, a couple times in a row. And they're like, yeah, well, you're, you're fired. So then I had no reason not to, well, why am I sticking around here? So he let me move in with him and uh, it was him and like four other roommates and we all paid a hundred bucks a month or 200 bucks a month, rent, whatever it was. It actually was a lot, but I didn't pay hardly anything at first. They, he really helped me out. And uh, <clears throat> it was more the example um, that changed things. It was, he had a different life. He brought came up differently, but we had been really good friends early on, but I saw the, what he was doing and it inspired me to do something different, make better choices. It still took 15 years to get kind of where I am today, but that was the beginning for sure. Uh, interesting. I remember you told me a story. I don't know if you can remember it where you were supposed to be in a vehicle, something like that. You guys were beefing and I don't know. You tell the story. Yeah. I think, I think I know the one you're talking about. So <clears throat> I, uh, was supposed to meet some friends down Southwest off of Michigan and central. We had a friend that lived there and, um, we always kind of met at his house. Um, cause it was off the main artery of where all the kind of trouble brewed and where the main beefs were, I guess. Um, so I'm there waiting and they, these guys, um, were just late showing up and I'm waiting around for a while for him. I'm like, all right, what the hell? So I'm, I'm, uh, 
there's no cell phones at that time. There's no texting really. This was probably ninety five or six. Was there even so a pager then? We had pagers, I like, but I had to go to a payphone and page them, and then they're not going to know the phone number unless I. So we had put in codes and all these other things. So I, I'm I'm not knowing what's going on. Nobody's getting a hold of me. So I'm waiting for hours, and I end up. They end up finally coming hours later, and what had happened was they were driving just kind of. Now what I would call it is trolling. They were trolling for trouble, probably. Um, driving through like Vernon and Junction area, which was a rival gang at the time. Uh, that's in Southwest Detroit. So they're looking to stir some shit up, basically. I think so. Yeah. And thankfully I wasn't in the car. I was supposed to be with them to do the trouble steering, but um, thankfully I wasn't in the car. They came back and the window, the rear window had been shot out. Um they yelled at the wrong person and they turned around and just lit lit up the car. Wow. Um, the bullet went through the back window, through the center and out the passenger door. And I, I was always sitting in the middle. Every time that particular group, I always ended up in the middle in the back seat. That would have been you, dude. That would have been me for sure. That was one of the final things. I'm like, man, that was Fuck bad. This, I'm out. Another guy went to prison for, for shooting a guy. In self-defense, he had just left the gang um, officially, like left it. Still hanging out with everybody pretty much. Yeah. So you're not out, but you're, you know, he was out, but he was still hanging out with some of the kids and stuff. And the guy, uh, some guy comes at him with a couple of baseball bats and he just opened fire, shot him in the thigh and the hip and like the stomach area. The guy died. He ended up in prison for 18 to 40 years, just got out recently oh, last year. Um, when that happened too, I was out as well. That was one of the other things that was like, all right, I am physically out. I need to get away from these. Yeah. Put people. some distance between yeah. you and the trouble. And yeah. I would like to point out, I, I know people hear this all the time. If you listen to this and this was some, something you're either going through now or you went through when you were a kid, you can get out of it. You can't help where you were born or who you were born to or who your parents are and yeah. all that. Just make a decision and just physically remove yourself from it. Get as far away from it as you can and or try and do better things. It is possible. I know it's hard. It sounds like it was tough, too. So your buddy Russ yeah, basically really helped you out. And you were in Lansing? Yeah. Saved my life. Yeah. Did you get in the radio up there, too, a little bit? <laughs> That's where I caught – I actually, I always kind of had the sports bug. But that was where. Yeah, you're always listening to that. Yeah, god awful sports talk radio. I wanted to be on Sports Center. That was my dream job. So I went to Lansing Community College for TV and radio. That was what I and I got a job at the local radio station, um, alternative rock station, and the sports station in Lansing for a while. And then found out that radio don't pay, son. Man, I was making I think six bucks an hour, oh. five bucks an hour. It was l- as low as you could get, essentially. If they could um, legally pay you less, they would have. For basically. sure. And I was doing overnights. I was doing six-hour shifts from – I was started on the weekend. I was just a – I was a weekend overnight guy. So that's like the entry-level radio position, right? And I don't know, a few weeks or a month, a couple months in maybe, I got – they fired or he quit. Their overnight guy just left. And so I'm working at a title company um, during the day during the week oh so you're moonlighting as a radio guy. yeah i'm trying okay. to i'm doing i'm i'm trying to break in i guess right so i had one shift one day a week um and the guy quits and they ask me can i fill in i'm like sure when uh this week i'm like this week you got another job right 
yeah, we know we'll take care of it. Yeah. They didn't take care of me much at all. They paid me. That's what they did, but it was awesome. I, I really loved it, but I would go to work from, you know, 1155. I'd show up right before I have to go on the air and I would work until 6am. I'd drive pretty much a block, few blocks away to uh, first American title where I was working from the radio station and sleep in the car for two hours. And then I would go into work for as long as I could stay awake. And that lasted for a week. Um, and then they found someone else. But I was pretty much at that point broken. I'm like, I don't think I can do that job. You have to pay your dues in that business for sure. I mean, in every business, but that one is really tough. And uh, I didn't have the same passion for it. I wanted to do something else. Mm. And then uh, I got fired from radio. They just let you go. It happens all the time. It was super common. I took that. I was crushed by it. And that was part of what killed the dream too, is they just were making changes though. The ownership group changed or whatever. And they wiped out a whole bunch of people. And I'm like in tears and the PD is talking to me. He's like, man, it happens all the time. He's like, honestly, if you want to be in radio, PD, who's, what's PD? Oh, I'm sorry. Program director is program PD. director. Yeah. yeah. We're not all sad. Yeah. Sorry. I that, forgot it. On that radio hip hop yeah. talk you kids have. <laughs> so the program director is basically the guy that runs the radio stations on air talent and talent and all that. Um, so he's like, if you want to be in this business, get used to this because this happens all the time. It it doesn't say anything about you, and it's just the way it is. I'm like, uh, which okay. one got fired, Anthony or Opie or what, one of those? Anthony two? just got fired for yeah. serious recently. Yeah, yeah. Last so year, yeah, yeah, if he can get fired, sure shit, you can get fired. Yeah, right. right? Yeah, yeah. And millions he, of viewers or yeah. listeners, and yeah, for sure. So, so so everybody can go. Well, that's how you learn to do all this too, right? Yeah, yeah, kind it's of a little setup here yep. in this. Uh, from here to here, yeah. which I'm grateful for. That's, That's kind of cool. So here you are. You're doing. Uh, <clears throat> I'm stopping my broad- broadcast here. Uh, don't want to give a, give away everything on Periscope. You know. So stop broadcast. Thank you very much. And for those listening, go to Steve oh. Buys Houses Fast.com. Steve Buys Houses Fast.com. If you're interested in ending up on his list, if you're looking for great deals throughout Metro Detroit, go to 313cashdeals.com, 313cashdeals.com. And by Halloween 2015, October 31st, flipthispodcast.com. Flip this. Where Steve's podcast gets started. So, <clears throat> All right, so fast forward again. Now we got through all the, uh, the gang stuff, Broken Heart Radio, doing – doing this title examiner stuff and you're helping out this investor doing just maybe a little too much work at work. <coughs> yeah. And they were tracking you on the computer, huh? Now that was a different, I was doing my own thing by that point. Okay. And I was, I wanted out. I hated the place that I was working. Uh, the environment sucked. Uh, the workload was horrible. And I knew how much money I could make as a real estate investor. I you knew cash that $6,000 check, just a little door knocking, right? Yeah. This is a couple of years later though. At this point I had done, you know, several 20 plus thousand dollar deals, a flip. Oh, I didn't know that. So you, yeah. you were part time in it for a while. Yeah. Until you built Three up. years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So from 06 until February of 09, I got fired from the title company. Yep. Wow. So how'd you do three years at the title company and three years of real? How many deals you do in those three years? Do you think? Oh, you know what? It was slow. It was it was do a deal, you know, spend the money on you know fix the house. We would get carpeting and we would do certain projects and things like that. 
And then it would get, I'm still marketing, but a little bit. I had a partner. We bought some rentals, so we were working on those. Um, it was a lot of seller seller financing deals is what we were looking for. Um, didn't know about wholesaling. I mean, I knew what it was. So you're trying to take over payments or buy stuff on land yep. contract, that kind of thing. Yep. So Seller you weren't finance. really doing much wholesaling at this point. Mm-mm, no. Okay. It was, the only wholesaling we did was short sales. And what we would do is negotiate the price, basically get an approval letter and we would have 30 days to close, 45 days to close maybe. And I'd go find a buyer. Yeah. So that was what it was pretty much doing. And then sandwich it, right? Yeah, and just yeah. get and just make what I can make. I did would you double close that, or you assign it, or kind of line item it, or how did you guys do? Uh, that? Those days we did dry closing, double closings, and that means my end buyer's funds would fund the first transaction. Wow. Yeah. How'd you it was pr- pull that it was pretty off? common. You know, I learned it. And I just okay. asked if they'd do it, and they said yeah. They said yes, huh? Yeah, and basically, I I knew title though, so I knew. You know, I could talk the talk and I explained the whole process and I said, you know, we'll execute them and we won't disperse them until the funds from the first transaction come in. And they, they were cool with it. So uh, lots of unscrupulous investors ruined that strategy, by, which so, is, Steve. happens all the time. But title companies changed the rules and you couldn't do that anymore. So we just adjusted. But yeah. yeah. How many of those short sales did you do? Total probably a hundred. That's pretty or good. Over a hundred. Yeah, yeah. I hate short sales. I don't know how. Me you too. That. Man, I hated them. I, I, what I, I loved the income. I loved the strategy. I hated them because they started to make them so difficult. Yeah, you know, they just it. They Until started to take so man. long. Yeah. We we were experts at the paperwork though. So I would teach and I would have a, uh, a negotiator that we hire. I went through f- like four negotiators though, trying to find one that would do what I needed them to do. And be as organized as I needed them to be. It was, I mean, I had the system and everything. I just tried to give it to them and go, do this. And nobody could do it as well as I did. So it was, I kept getting thrown back into that role um, to get the deals closed. We had a couple that were good, not great, <clears throat> that we were able to push a lot of deals through. But, you know, I, I just couldn't stand the short sales. Then they changed the rules and made it where um, you couldn't flip them. So they put restrictions in where you could not flip the house. For I will never reason. understand why they why they did that. Greed, just greed. They're the, the bank, ones that the made the problem that, yeah. in the first place, yeah. and then they they didn't want anybody but them to profit from it. Yeah. So when they realized guys like me were out there finding those people in that situation, negotiating with them, we told them what we did from from day one. We're going to buy this house and we're going to immediately flip it for a profit. So disclosed in all of our paperwork, and. uh because you know, they wouldn't, most people didn't want to sell their house anyway. They wanted to do a loan mod. And in those days, the banks weren't qualifying yeah. anybody. This is way Or the early. people just couldn't qualify anyway. They didn't have a job. Yeah. So at that time, it was hard to jobs. qualify. They kept changing. If I remember correctly, they changed the rules several times too, which created a lot of confusion. So it was, I, I, how many, I mean, did you ever successfully get any loan mods done or you just, not yeah, to- I did like two. And that was yeah. more of like a favor to the borrower kind of thing. Yeah. And that kind of had being a scam too. At some point, a bunch of people got in doing yep. scam loan mods and lawyers. Well, they would charge and, like a payment upfront yeah. and these people are already behind. They could have used that payment to, you know, make one mortgage payment. So you're staying only three months behind. Yeah, or I'm, two months I'm unsympathetic behind. in this. Uh, you know, people <clears> can make any choice they want. No, I get it. But there were predatory people out there that, you know, just targeted these people 
and took advantage of them, just stole their stole money. Stole their money, yeah. yeah. A lot of lawyers did that, too, just stole the yeah. money. Yeah. Yep. Surprise, surprise, <laughs> lawyers ruin shit. <laughs> so at some point, well, you got fired. You're like, yeah, mm-hmm. you're doing too much work at work. Get yeah. out of here, son. Yep. You've got three with- years part-time real estate work, and now you've, you've done a bunch of short sales. At some point, though, you end up buying and basically flipping pools of notes and individual yeah. notes. How'd that happen? Yeah, so the short sale thing, they started to change the rules, and they made it more and more difficult for us to um, to be able to flip the, the house. You well, know? I hate to interrupt. Do you mean that they change the rules so the good guys stopped? Yeah. Okay. That's well, what, that's you know, just saying. like, you know, changing the rules in the middle of the game. That's like changing a, you know, I don't know. It's, it sucks. So we're, we have a pipeline of deals that we now can't do anything with other than let them close so that we're not an asshole staying in the way of this homeowner selling their house. So, yeah. Profit gone. Yeah, we made sure gone. everything closed. I think we got paid some minimal fees, but our overhead was so high at that point. It was ridiculous. So we started looking for other revenue streams. Um, my partner at the time was a flipper. He had done, I don't know, 20 or 30 flips at that point. Um, he was always looking for deals, supposedly. He was always looking for deals to flip. Um, we weren't really finding much. I mean, at least... If there was any being found, they weren't being done through our company. I'll say that. Yeah. So. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah. yeah. So I'm out. Well, knowing what I know now, it wouldn't surprise me if that had happened. Yeah. But um, So now seeing this opportunity, um, I had always been interested in notes since I was in short sales. I was involved with a mastermind group <clears throat> and we had a meeting in Florida and uh um, I now I can't think of the guy's name. Jack, big oh, note guy. I have no idea. Noteworthy. I'm drawing a blank. I remember Noteworthy. I went to a Noteworthy conference. Yeah, Noteworthy is the guy that runs it. You know, Jack something. I'm drawing a blank on his name. If I picked up my phone, but anyway, it's not important. If I can't, I'll look it up and put it in the show notes. Yeah, so I can remember Jack Sternberg. I think there you go, yeah. Jack Sternberg. Yeah, sorry, Jack, but so he came to one of our masterminds and we went through this whole process about notes and the power of them and how I learned to use a financial calculator and it opened my eyes to a lot. Now what the notes that he was talking about wasn't necessarily the ones that we went after. That was sort of the climate of the market at the time. Yeah. Noteworthy was more like buy and buy a discounted note yep. from a single note holder. Yeah. And you're like, fuck that. Why do that when I can buy all the notes? Right? Yeah, I want them all. That's Steve's that's Steve's way. <laughs> I'll buy all the notes. Well, it started at, we just bought one. Uh, we went to an online, like I think it was called Loan Market, and we bought our first note there, I think. And then I bought another one from like FCI Exchange. And we bought both of those, and they went well. We funded them, and, and I got presented an opportunity um, to bid on a pool of notes from a major lender. And at the time, uh, this was the kind of contact that we were looking for. Uh, we were looking for maybe a bulk REO or something just bigger, you know. Um, we'd gotten pretty good at raising private money. We had done whale hunting, right? Yeah, yeah. Some whale hunting. Yeah. We had done pretty well at raising private money. We had a good track record. And so we we were looking at these notes and we it just it just got presented to us and we took the when we took the opportunity to bid, and that was in I think June of two thousand eleven. And so the market 
is terrible. There's not a lot of inventory. There's all this shadow inventory and stuff like that. And we had an opportunity to buy 130 or 50 notes in Michigan. It was only a Michigan pool too. So this was unique. Um, we lost the bid barely, but I made the connection with the guy at GMAC, the bank and was which now no longer exists. Yeah, yeah. Which, and was now direct to them versus through the back door where so you got phone number, you got email, phone address, number, email, direct contact, cell phone. Yeah. He's texting me. Yeah. So it, it worked out. And then the following bid, which was two months later, we actually won the bid. So we went from buying a note and then another note to 126, I think 125. What does that process look like? How do you buy 126 <clears throat> notes? What's Man, it was complicated. Like, how do you bid? What does all that look like? All right, so the way it worked, and it probably still works, is you you get first of all you get offered. Uh, there's what's called an offer memorandum. So they send a letter. It's like a memo out to a group of people and say, "Hey, we're releasing this pool of non-performing loans. Uh, 120. Actually, there's there was probably thousands in this tape, but we were only interested in the Michigan portion. Please have your indicative bid, which means your um, opening bid, kind of. Your I want to be in the game bid. Excuse me. Um, by you know June first, whatever. So you get at that point you have attached a what they call a masked tape, which is all of the property information, all of the addresses. Ex- the the addresses are blocked out, like the actual physical street address. The cities are there. The values are there. The last payment date. All the that data is there. So you get to look at that before you make your indicative bid. Um, we just bid what we bid last time, which was like, I think at that time it was like six, six cents on the dollar. Um, and this is based off of what's called UPB, which is unpaid principal balance. So that's the loan amount. That's what they owe still on the loan. So that's after all the late payments and all so that So it's not stuff. what they're worth. This is just what right. the original note was for, the principal of the original note. Right. Okay. This is what's left. Yeah, the principal. So it's... What they haven't paid down. Yeah. Which is probably not much after the buildup. Most of the time, yeah. yeah. So you bank your bid off of that. So we just bid six cents. That's what we had just missed the bid before. That's kind of where we ended up, I think. And um, so then once you get accepted into that round you're in the actual bid process and i I think you get like three weeks two weeks maybe to do your due diligence your due diligence they then will give you once you're accepted well for part of that process too after the offer memo comes in and you submit an indicative bid you have to provide an investor like questionnaire um Proof of funds, I think, is what we provide. We provided Hi, I'm it. Steve, I like long walks on the beach and making money. Kinda, kind of thing. Yeah. This is who we are. This is why okay. you should allow us to buy from you kind of thing. I mean, it's like a, there, I think there was some federal a resume kind aspects of. to it too. Yeah. Um, so we submitted all of that. We got accepted in. And from there, you get the full unmasked tape. So this is every property and all of the addresses. And there's also a link to... Um, they didn't use Dropbox. They had their own internal. It was basically a Dropbox. So it was a secure folder um, where you could access all of the loan documents. So the original mortgage, any amendments or uh, modifications. Now to the it. real work begins, right? Yeah. All the so, due diligence. Yeah. So we split up the tasks. Um, <clears throat> we, I pretty much looked at the loan docs because that's kind of where I, especially anyways, was doing short sales. So I knew in title. So I kind of knew what a lot of the documents were. Um, so 
I pretty much focused my efforts on looking at that. Um, my partner looked at the houses and we, I drove by a lot of houses too, but we just drove by outside, took a picture and kept going. So it was basically a drive by. Yeah. You don't want to type because most of these, a lot of these properties are occupied too. A lot of them are occupied. Homeowners still in them. Renters still in them. Yeah. So actually just really quick to fast forward the last guest, Ron, Ron Walraven did all our BPOs for like the next, three pools that we bought or two yeah, pools cool. that we bought. Yeah. yeah, that was from episode nine, which yeah. if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to episode nine with Ron, the godfather, That's the awesome. godfather of wholesale real estate in Metro Detroit, you should definitely go check out that episode. Yeah, that was good. That was a really good one. So so we split it up. He um we did the the values. Uh we drove, you know, we just road trip. Split up an area. Like I drove up. This was actually the pool we we didn't get, but I drove up to Lansing because I kind of knew the area a little bit, anyways. So I did all the Lansing kind of area ones, and yeah, because it took Michigan a whole day wide, right? So oh yeah, getting pools from yeah. Well, the third pool we bought, we ended up with a house in Paradise, uh, which is like Whitefish Point. That way nice, up, Paradise. Up. It was it's nice. Paradise? I wish I could have bought the house. Um, yeah, it was cool. I actually took a family vacation up there so that we could go and check the house. Cause there was nothing else close to it and we wanted a vacation anyway. So we ended up, that was 2012, I think. So we went all the way up there, did, did our vacation. Bernadette's and, like, Steve, you take me to the nicest places. There you go. Paradise. <laughs> Paradise. I told you, baby. <laughs> so here it is uh, right here in Michigan. Right. You're welcome. Yeah. By the way, I gotta go look at this house real quick. Yeah. Give me 15 minutes. I'll be yeah, right. right. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty much what it was too. I just drove, drove over and looked at it and took a picture and came back and, Made contact with a realtor who knew the borrowers. They never, they never contacted us. We tried to work it out. Anyway, anyway so, so we the due diligence aspect of it is the, obviously the most important part. We had to pull comps, PRDs, which is a, the public record detail in our MLS, which gives us the, what the taxes are, because uh, all of these properties had back taxes. So we needed to look to see which ones had back taxes, how much they were, all this factored in, right? So that six cents, that six cents on the uh, unpaid principal balance, that's just for the note. It comes anything from the city as far as liens, yep. if there's a mechanics lien, any back taxes, water bills, yep. you're getting all that too. Not yep. you're not getting that paid at the six cents. So you got to make sure. Yeah. Okay. That, now we, that's a lot of work. Man. We were we were in first position. So if there was any other mortgages or liens outside out. of a, a tax lien, we would wipe them out. So we would foreclose and be we'd be in first position. So we weren't worried about those. Just more like government stuff. Yeah. IRS, water bills. Water bills. Back IRS. Taxes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's a lot of work. So <clears> how big was. was this package? That one was 125 loans. So 125 properties. You got to go pull all that information on, okay. drive by all of them. Ron yeah. went and did his BPO, all that. You collect all the information in one place. How yep. do you then decide? So the first bit is the indicative bit. What, mm-hmm. What's the next bit called? Uh, your final bit. Final bit. And okay. so it's like a blind bid process. We all submit our bid to, uh, to the lender. And they like pick, a silent auction. Yeah, gets to see what everybody else yeah. is bidding. Okay. They pick the one they like the best. So it doesn't always mean the highest price. I came to learn later on one of the subsequent bids. I know we weren't the highest bid because I ended up talking to someone else that bid on it and lost. But the the reason we won was because we had already closed two previously with them. Performance so, matters. Performance matters. Yeah. Um, and I was surprised by that because I thought we were the highest bid anyway. 
Um, so, you know, that's all good. But so the way that we, the way that we determined the bid was we took what, so they also had, they also provided old BPOs, full on BPOs that they had done previously. If they had them, they had several of them in their files, prior short sale offers, anything they had in their file, we had access to. So I had pinpointed a few right off the bat that we could contact the buyers to see if they were interested uh, of that short sale or loan mods. So we made our bid based on the values and we were at, I think about 30% of value. When we factored in all the taxes and everything, we were at about 50 or 55%. So you're buying at most 55 cents on the true or after repair value, current day live after repair value. Yep. Okay. So that's not the initial bid is so that six cents is on the unpaid principal balance, but that ends up being about 50, 55% of the total value. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So everything is, is priced off of the balance, but since we were real estate guys, we weren't after the debt. We were after the land, the houses. So we looked at it and analyzed it from the real estate perspective. Um, and, but when we made our offer, it was based on, you know, the UPB. So I think we ended up at six and a half on that one, something like that. Okay. Six and a half percent yeah. for, okay. So our total plus. purchase price was, I want to say like $795,000, I think. So like one and a half California houses gives yeah. you 125 Detroit or yeah. Michigan. Michigan houses. Michigan yeah. houses. Yeah. There was a lot of Detroit in there and I didn't know Detroit at all back then. So um, I would have loved to work all. through that. Man, I wish I had you then. Yeah. If, if we were together, if you would have had, I would have worked the shit out of that. You, we would yeah. have had uh, some good some good stuff to do there because we had probably 50 or 60 Detroit houses. Yeah, man. Well, I was neck deep in the ass fucking of my life. That's and true. It was me receiving. Yeah. So I don't know if I would have been very good to you at the time. In 2000, like uh, the fall of 11? Yeah, yeah. No, I was I was in it deep up okay. to my nose. Yeah. I think I was crying every day, laying <laughs> on the couch in the fetal position. And so I probably wouldn't have been very used. But I would have... You know, if I could go back in time, it would have been nice to work yeah. out those all those loans. And it helped us out, too. It a lot, yeah. Yep. I hear some of the stories. So well, how do you know you get your bid accepted then? Do, they, do you have to sign a PA at that point? What do you sign? How do you do the monies? Or how do you do a title yeah. closing? What does that look like for 125? There's no title closing. So the way that works, so once they accept your bid, they will email you and say, congratulations, you win kind of a thing. Um and they give you instructions. Mail us a bag of gold. Pretty much. They give you instructions, um, wire instructions to wire them the money. And you have two days to send the wire, typically. So you know leading up when the funding date is and when the closing date is. It's all in the offer memorandum. It's all in the, you know, in the package that you get when you submit your indicative bid. And we didn't have the money when that time came. We didn't have the money when we made the bid. We had some commitments from some people. Actually, we had one guy who said he would fund it, and then he said he couldn't do it in time. And so he was going to refinance us out if we raised the money. And I'm like, oh, we shit. can do that. Shit, shit, shit. I can do that. And we did it. I did it in two days. Actually, in a day, pretty much. I was on the phone nonstop raising money, and we raised 820000 in about two days. He who has overcome his fears will truly be free by yeah. Aristotle. Fuck it. I don't need any money. 
I'll figure it out. Oh shit. So when they said accepted, you have two days to wire <laughs> and no money. Do you have a yeah. plan about where you're going to get the money or? Um, we made a plan real fucking quick. Yeah. Uh, that was call everybody we know, every investor, every contact we've made. I talked to Jack Sternberg. Um, Josh Cantwell in Ohio was one of our mentors at that time. Um, Brian Stark was a hard money lender down there. We were talking to anybody and everybody we could get our hands on. If you had a phone number, you were dialing. <sighs> yeah. And we were raising small chunks, big chunks, whatever we had to do. Um, so that process, I'll, let me answer your first question. And I'll yeah. get back to that story because that's interesting too. But the process of closing the notes. So they send you, uh, the instructions. You wire that you sign the contract send it over to them and wire the funds. They sign the contract and send it back and then it's closed and you don't have anything. Yeah. I was going to say, it's, you <laughs> just basically have an email and a promise from an yeah. industry, not exactly known for keeping their promises. Exactly. So basically, you know what you need if you want to be in real estate, yeah. brass balls, big fucking balls. Yeah. So supplies to everyone too. We're not yeah. just sexist over here. Yeah, just, yeah. That, that's a scary thing to do. It was, acknowledge it. It's it was scary. It was also one of our investors' biggest objections. I can understand like, why. Wait, wait a minute. There's no title company involved. They're not finance people either. They're real estate. Most of them. Those are real dudes and gals. Real estate right? investors. Just yeah, guys and gals who are yep. do, looking for deals, and you're calling them, and this yep. is really weird. Yeah. What do you mean? I'm just going to wire money to a bank yeah. on a promise? Well, they and they actually wired it to us, and we wired in one lump sum to the bank. That's true. Yeah. Look for the next 15 wires coming in for you. Yeah. I guess you can't do that, right? So, yeah. So what happened was actually my future investors all wired directly to the bank, but I ended up getting the funds from all one source each of the other times. So, um, but anyway, so you, you send the documents, you send the, uh, the money and you don't get much at first. So then they send you, uh, you have to transfer servicing too. So, Servicing is who handles all the collection phone calls, all of the, um, you know, notices to the borrower that the loan has changed hands, uh, notices of what their payments are, what their what's owed. All the communication flows through the mortgage servicer. Is this and, electronic, or they like start shipping you boxes? Both. Well, that okay. the servicer thing, you have to have a servicer, so we had to line that up too. We ended up using FCI on that. and um, So servicing, that's the people who are collecting any payments that are coming yeah. in, sending any notices, yeah. that kind of thing. The yeah. bank usually doesn't do that. They hire that out, right? Um, well, most banks are their own servicing company or they own a servicing company. Um, because we weren't a bank, we didn't have that. So we yeah. found that. The loans have to transfer to the servicer. But what we did too was we had the physical loan files shipped to us because we wanted to review them. We want to make sure we had the original note, uh, the original mortgage, and which isn't a huge deal. But well, we, those are really important things in are. case you have to go to court, right? Yeah, the People note start asking for sure. For them. Yeah. Um, so there were files where there, we didn't have a note at all. There were certain files where they lost it to tax sale, so we had to submit what's called repurchase to GMAC later. Um, saying, hey, you got to buy this one back because we don't own it. So that that happened all every almost every time, too. There was a, well, that's a cool. period so of that. So they made a mistake, they bought it back. But you had to figure it out fast. And yeah. on my first one, I didn't know the time frame, and I waited way too long, and they did it anyways. So they didn't have to do that. But the, How long did they give you? 45 days, uh, 30 to 45 days, and we took like 90. 
Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they were very, very cool about it though. They didn't have to do it and they did it anyway. Um, and it was, it was good because one of them was a big one. One of them was probably 16 grand, um, which was our, our purchase price was 16 grand, which puts that loan amount, you know, 200 something thousand. So it would have been a good house too. And unfortunately we didn't get it replaced. We just didn't have to pay for it, you know, but that was one of those houses that was the upside. Yeah. You that know? sucks. So that one sucked. So they don't like you make, they didn't let you make that <clears throat> price adjustment. They were just right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so they just have cents on all of it. And if there's one that's not ours, they just, just reimburse it. Okay. Yeah. That was a bummer then. Yeah. It was a big bummer. And it ended up biting us later we found, but so anyway, back to the closing. Um, so they ship physical banker boxes full of loan files and the files were, if you're watching on the video, like four inches thick, each one practically. Did they huge. smell like banker desperation? My too? God, they were, and they're just, they just started showing up at our office. Oh, another cool story. Our assistant quit the Friday. We got the bid, the funding done Monday morning. The files were supposed to, or, you know, that later that week, the files were supposed to start coming. She quit. Lovely. Yeah. It's rain. When it was, when it rains, it pours. So we're taking on the biggest project we've ever, you know, embarked on in our business lives and or at least mine for sure. And by the way, you're on your own. Like, oh, this is my favorite assistant. Yes. Okay. I'm not yes. going to say who it is. So we found someone new that was a major process, took several weeks and uh, she ended up being very good and uh, lasting for quite until I left. I mean, I was, she was still there when I left, but um, so that was pretty scary, but the files start showing up and we start digging through them. We also had to do title searches on them all. Well, I got the title background. I can save, I can save us money by doing them ourselves. Right. So I'm going to order data trace, which is the, the software that title companies use to search title and images and all that. So instead of ordering it from a title company or using the counties, you know, whatever the County provides, I'm going to use it this way. I've already familiar with the system and all that anyway. Oh, bad idea. A, yeah. taking on way too much for as being the business owner, I shouldn't have been doing those tasks. But secondly, that took so much time. I, I worked on that for weeks, you know, pulling title on everyone, looking at the documents, making sure everything it's gonna was It's going to be boring good. as shit too, man. I did it for so long. It was just like, it's you like know, muscle memory. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, this is the kind of thing that would sucked. just kill me. Yeah. So once that process starts, a lot of it is is procedural things that happen that aren't really in your control, but you got to make sure they get done. One of them is called the TILA letter, uh, truth and lending act yeah. letter. I don't even know if these things exist anymore since they've made all these changes, but so a TILA letter and, um, I think it's TRID now, right? TRID. Yeah. Something, something. <clears throat> so there's that TILA letter and something else that you have to send before you can contact the borrower. And we had to wait until those had been, assumably received before we could really start reaching out to the borrowers, which a good couple of weeks, you know, after closing and everything, because it takes, there's a transition period. Everything. That's the other thing is everything moved way slower than we thought other than the funding thing, which is it really moved slow. Cause you knew, you know, a month before when you're supposed to close, when you'll need to fund and not everybody that's bidding on that is doing it the way we did it. They probably had 10 times the amount that would be needed to fund the deal in their account sitting there, you know, and we had to raise the money, but in two days, in two days, I'll make sure I get back to that. Don't let me, but let me skip it. over. Yeah. So yeah, let's, let's, so you got all these files, your neck deep in, let's, let's go back a little bit. You get your final bid 
accepted, mm-hmm. and you basically get the email. And this was GMAC, yeah, which is yep. no longer. You get the email, which basically says, "Congratulations, here's wiring and routing information." Two business days or just two days? Um, it was two business days. I ended up buying us. We were, I think, two or three days late funding. Um, but I had the funding locked up by the deadline. Yeah. So it was. How'd you get extra time? Friday and a Monday. Ask. Smooth talker. Poor honey. Hey, Mr. Banker, my funding is, I'm having a little issue getting it. We're using some self-directed IRA funds. It's going to take a couple days longer than we anticipated. Can you, can we wire on Monday? And we ended up wearing, I think on Tuesday morning. So they said, just ask. Yeah. Just ask. What would you have done if they said no? Just wired curious. anyway. Wired anyway, yeah. Yeah. Send me my money make them, back. Make them return it. Yeah. yeah, that's probably what I would have done, too. Yeah. Call their bluff. Yeah. Hard to say no with all that money in yeah, your Exactly. Account. Oh, you know what's funny? I even sent the per diem. Uh, there was a per diem in the contract for every day over. They that's sent a it, way to do They it. sent it back. They did? Yeah. That was nice of them. Yeah, it was. So, you know, I heard a lot of stories about how terrible they were. And maybe as a, as a servicer for a homeowner, they were. But as far as me working with them, it seemed to be pretty well. I had a pretty good relationship with them. But That's interesting. So yeah. you have two days to raise all this money. You start dialing. I mean, what did that look like? I want, I want you to tell me this story because <laughs> I, w- I don't even know what I would have done. I mean, for the, that is some pressure. Yeah. So much pressure and so much, just so much at stake. Yeah, for sure. I mean, our entire business future was riding on this in our minds because the short sale game was drying up. There was no rehabs. You got um, all this overhead. You got all this overhead and we, we needed a, a, a business to work and that business, it, it really looked, we analyzed it a lot before we really jumped in it and it made sense. You know, if, if we can buy these properties for this price and then get them sold, foreclose on them, get them deed and lieu, do short sales, whatever we got to do, we're not going to stand in the way from a, investor making money give us this much for the house we're happy with it we'll be gone and uh we did that on several of them but the problem was there were so many that just didn't contact us that never went anywhere you know but anyway so yeah two days it was pure insanity i mean basically (laughs) from dawn till dusk uh, island pretty much money sir please sir can i I have some more no i'm i think i dropped the kids off and i would drive to the office you didn't and, make them dial kids yeah talk to your elementary school teacher <laughs> right daddy anybody needs, you know daddy needs seven hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars stat so we we had already done a lot of deals where we borrowed uh private money from people so we had a good track record of borrowing and paying back um and even the deals that didn't go well we got them paid back um you know with all their interest and everything so it was just getting them comfortable with what the transaction was, which was a challenge because some of them, they even expressed that they weren't comfortable with it. Well, it's scary. It is. You're wiring money on an email, basically. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they even did it before we had a signed contract. Holy shit. Yeah. One in particular. Powers of persuasion. School of Steve, ladies and gentlemen. They trusted us and and we had proven we'd earned their trust, you know? Um, at least at that time, right? At that time, right. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. It didn't It didn't work out because, you know, there's a lot of things. Well, I'm sure we'll get into that story yeah, later. Will, but will. Yeah. Um, but as, as far as you're comfortable sharing. Anyway. Well, as much as I can, yeah. But yeah. as far as the raising the funds, you know, like I said, we I called, cold called people. I mean, people I'd never spoken to in my life. I called them up 
like, hey, I just won this bid on this note pool. Uh, someone that had done notes in Minnesota. And it was sort of in our mastermind group or affiliated with our mastermind group. Called him up. Just cold call him. Hey, do you know anybody? And he gave me a referral to somebody else who, you know, we just kept doing that. Moving along. And um, we raised 200 from one group locally, 200 from another guy locally, another 100 from someone locally. I think it was 80 or 90 from a guy I knew in our mastermind group. Um, all in all, it was it was eight twenties. What? Oh, three, three hundred from from a guy that ended up funding the full pool, two pools later. Three hundred. He was a complete stranger. He was a referral from someone who the guy that connected me to GMAC in the first place. In fact, I'm going to plug him because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have got into that business at all. Hit it. Plug Mike away. Mike Solis. What's up, Mike? Mike, Mike Solis. Solis. How do we find? How do you find Mike Solis? Oh, One Oak Advisory. One, the number one Oak Advisory. Uh, he is teaching people now how to uh, how to buy and sell notes. He's brokering notes, usually ones ones and twos and one offs. But he uh, he's Mike. a hustler, man. Mike, we thank you. I love Mike. He's a good dude. Thank you. So he's in uh, he's in SoCal, and uh, we hung out in New York City when he was when we went to New York in 2012. I think it was. And uh, yeah, awesome guy. So so he referred us to to Phil, who funded three hundred of that pool, and um, so that was how we got to the eight eight twenty. Two days late, Two sent days the per late. diem anyway. Got it done, son. That's how you do it. So what was the exit strategy? I mean, obviously you're getting them at a good deal, fifty fifty five <laughs> cents, all in, everything considering. Yep. Whatever they're worth that day, 55%. Hopefully they don't need too much rehab, right? Did the best yeah. you could. Now you now you got to get rid of them. What was the extra strategy? What worked? What didn't work? All that. Yeah, and real quick too, um, there were probably 140 properties on the list in the first place. But some of them were so bad, we just, we just had them removed. We said, there's no house there, there's no collateral, or it's burnt, you know, yeah. remove this it's one. It's a Detroit special. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, it's a little smoky inside. <laughs> yeah. So the you know there's no walls. Usually there's yeah. It helps when there's a house. Yeah. I will say that. So so there's um, the exit strategy. Basically, we would the the main strategy was get title to the property. Um, and good news, I just got title back for the one we were talking about earlier. <laughs> so um, close tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Tomorrow Saturday, right? Shit. Monday. Damn it. Tuesday. Why do why do we have weekends, Steve? I don't understand this. Lazy. This is a fucking union's fault. I know. I blame unions all It is your union's fault. We probably would work on Saturday. It wasn't for you fucking unions. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, I don't work on Saturdays either, so not not in this business anyway. I work at home. So anyway, um our main strategy was get possession of the property. We want we want title, whether it's a short sale, a deed in lieu, not a short sale, we would allow the short sale, um, a deed in lieu foreclosure, whatever we could do to get the property first. And then secondarily was whatever we can do to get them performing again. So we did principal reduction loan mods. We were doing, I mean, we were just trying to work with people and we would reduce them down to basically the value of the house. Um, sometimes it would be a little bit more the way it should have been the way it should have been. Yeah. We were trying hard. Most people didn't believe us that we were going to yeah. actually do that. Um, a few of them did. And 
did great. They made their payments and all yeah, that. Yeah, it too. seems if that's the only way it's going to work. Yeah. The reason why a lot of people quit making payments is when you owe a hundred thousand more than your house is worth, yeah. your motivation to make a payment is pretty low. Yeah. If you drop that balance down to what the house is actually worth in today's market mm-hmm. or back then's market, yeah. right? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I, I I never understood why the feds didn't approach this sooner that way. I I never did. They either. wasted years. They just, wasted a ton of time. Yeah. Um, and it took it took a lot of people losing their houses for them to do anything yeah. about it. So, I mean, there was one in fact one loan mod that we did where they owed over two hundred thousand house in Ferndale. We loan modded it to like sixty. Wow, that's what the value was at yeah, the time. That's huge, and that you know that house has gone up in value. I yeah, think I think absolutely. they actually sold that note too. Um, but anyway, I'm, I can hear the coffee shop. Yeah. By the way, uh, it is a little noisy in here. Uh, we are at Always Brewing Detroit, which is a coffee shop owned by our good friend Amanda Brewington. And she really wanted to have a podcast here. She talked to me about it. She's been talking to me about it. One of her dreams when she opened this business two years ago, at some point she actually wants to have podcasting equipment in here so people can come in and rent it and drink their coffee and do a podcast in the shop. And I said, I would give it a shot if it wasn't too loud. So I'm hoping it's just like ambiance in the background. If you're in Detroit, or Northwest Detroit, or going to be visiting Detroit, go to alwaysbrewing.com, alwaysbrewingdetroit, or I'm sorry, alwaysbrewingdetroit.com, and check out their hours. It's a great place. She gets everything locally within 15 miles of the shop, and her coffee is bought in micro batches and roasted in micro batches to perfection from another local roaster hazano which is in ferndale so you definitely should go check it out you're in northwest detroit check it out and please bear with us we're turning the gain down so hopefully there's not too much background noise so here you are you're trying to you're fixing these loan mods your people are making payments you're adjusting balances down mm-hmm. some you're actually getting title back to doing short sales mm-hmm. flipping selling how did the first package go well, actually, the first one is the one that went the worst. Um, it started off pretty well. Actually, we brought in, <clears throat> so we did panic a little bit in the beginning. Um, more, more or less, my partner panicked. Um, he had been, I don't know how he met him. I think he met him at a Noteworthy or some sort of event like that. And the guy was going to, he had already done, worked out pools like this before for other investors. So he had done the door knocking, the communicating with the set, the the tenant, the borrower, whatever he had rented the properties. They had had a whole system for that or so we were told. And so we thought, um, partner panicked, especially when we realized we were going to, we won the bid, we raised the money and then our assistant quit. And so we met with this guy and he, we met at a, like a diner in Lake Orion and, The guy didn't, he rubbed me the wrong way from the beginning, but I was sort of like a bad movie. It was bad. It was just terrible. I, um, I should have went with my gut. I deferred to my partner a lot in those days because he was older, way more experienced. He had run actual businesses before. Seems like an intelligent thing to do, right? Admit what you don't know. And I'm just like, okay, this isn't my area. I'm going to trust this. Maybe he's right. Maybe we're biting off more than we can chew. You know, maybe there's something else. Maybe we need help. 
and Jay and I butted heads from pretty much the beginning. He would bring up something. His his goal and our goal was sort of different. He was more from the loan, the financial world, the let's let's uh let's chase every borrower for every dollar world, you know. So he was after that deficiency and all that kind of stuff too whereas we we just wanted the house we just wanted to get the house and and flip it that yeah you want to move fast yeah so he slowed things down immensely um we finally had to so the agreement we made was horrible we made a shitty deal with him he basically got a partnership in the deal he didn't bring any money to the table at all he didn't bring the deal to the table so usually you do a 50 50 partnership somebody is bringing the money Somebody's bringing the deal. Usually one of those 50-50 partners has one or the other. We brought both, but we still brought him in as a partner. So I don't know. I still don't get why we did that outside of panic, like I said. So we did that and we were working together. I'm letting them run and do the thing, do the actual work. I'm thinking I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, which is manage. But yet everything I wanted to do, he didn't want to do. It was like, no, we're gonna do, we should do it this way. Man, we need to move fast. We have to have these loans paid back in 90 days. Our funding, our refinance funding fell through. Oh. So we were, we got to move this and get as much of this money paid back in 90 days before we can find or, and simultaneously find more funding. So Al and I are looking for funding and this is being worked out. Well, I don't know. Thanksgiving was a, around Thanksgiving was the time we closed in August around Thanksgiving was the time I finally was like this is enough can't do this anymore and decided to separate that, that this guy and us were going to separate and he made it a nightmare. He made it impossible to, um, to work. I mean, he, he basically made us pay him to go away. It cost us some cash and several assets that we had to give him to go away. So that sucked. And that's a painful mistake. Good God. Don't want to make that twice. Right. It really sucked. And it caused us, to lose focus. And actually, I don't think we actually officially separated or agreed to separate until later because we didn't buy the next pool until January and they were still kind of working with us on that new pool that we were acquiring. So it was, that was in January and that one we funded from someone else. And anyway, things were going okay, but they weren't going the way I wanted them to go. And not fast enough, not fast enough. So I'm trying to push speed. I'm trying to push, uh, reporting and accuracy and, you know, keep me in the loop of what's going on. And it was not that case at all. So the first pool <clears throat> ended up being the the worst of the bunch. Um, I left actually before any of them saw the final fruition or it came to fruition or final sale of these properties were done. So I honestly, I don't even know what happened to the rest of them. Once I left the company, I don't know what happened after that, but um Nothing good, I'm sure. Nothing good, I'm sure. Yeah. I, they're still around, as far as I know. The company still exists, and they still have assets. Because I got an email that I was blind copied on to uh, basically buy several assets. And I know, I obviously, I worked those for years. I know the address. Yeah, I see it, I'm going to go. And then who it came from, yeah. you know, came from the old operations manager. So I knew it was, and I don't know how they could sell them, because there was a bankruptcy involved, but. I don't know. Anyway, I just forwarded it to my attorney and go, hey, can they do this? And I kind of stayed out of it. But Fucking lawyers. <laughs> my God. Yeah. If you're a lawyer, don't take that personally. I'm sure you're great. 
good Lord, I don't hate you. I just hate what you do. No. Uh, well, lawyers kill deals. That's why I don't like them. So a lot of times, they, do, lot of yeah. times they kill deals. I don't know how Ron got that. If you haven't listened to that last episode with Ron, go go back. And he managed to do a deal with a lawyer that I never thought could be done. Yeah. So that's pretty good. So, so that obviously had a, a nasty ending. And um, you ended up exiting the note pool purchasing mm. and selling world and into your current endeavor, which is? Wholesaling. Wholesaling. Yeah. yeah. So how did you make that transition? What did that look like? So in uh, late in 2012 or January of 2013, maybe it was, we had a, uh, we, we found black mold in our house. So already things weren't great with that company. We were, there were some personality conflicts between my partner and I too, that we weren't getting along very well. And, the mold at the house caused, we had to move out. We had to completely rip out the basement. Um, it was a huge, huge ordeal. Uh, thankfully my friend Russ again came to my rescue. We lived at his, uh, he's got a house in Cadillac, a lake house in Cadillac that we were able to live in for like two and a half months. While thank the house, you, Russ. again, thank you. While we gutted the house and cleaned it and everything there. So I'm gone now. I'm not driving from Cadillac to Shelby to the office every day. I'm trying to stay in communication with the company and everything. And I'm pretty much feeling like we're getting shut out. Nobody's listening to me. I'm not physically there. It's swirl- basically it's a toilet bowl swirling down. You I'm, know there's an end coming yeah, sometime. I saw it coming long before that, but it was really evident when I would send an email and I would either get no response or get like a shitty response back from staff. It's like, that. hold on a minute. But the other owner, the partner was there telling them pretty much the opposite of what yeah. I was telling them. Don't talk to them. Don't so I, I can't do anything at that point. No. So what I just Time decided. To leave, basically. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't officially separate until August of that year. But I think by February or March, I was done. I was out. I wasn't doing anything with them. They weren't doing anything with me. They were ignoring me. And I needed to make money i was getting a small like stipend salary from that from that company a couple thousand a month i think four thousand a month um which wasn't enough to even cover the the expenses we had and then on top of all the mold damage and rebuilding the house and i mean literally all of the kids belongings and beds anything soft or with uh you know, plush, yeah. yeah, anything like that had to get thrown away. We had, we filled two 40 yard dumpsters in That's my yard. That's sad shit, man. And then to top it all off, my fucking house got broken into. I remember that post on Facebook. They got in your garage, yep. stole a ton of shit, right? They stole my stuff out of my barn. They stole, I mean, ended up being about $18,000 worth of stuff, I think. Motherfucking thieves. Fucking assholes. So thankfully insurance reimbursed. Um, and we actually got a, uh, sorry about that. We actually got a, um, restitution check from court cause we, we've caught who did it and everything. But so anyway, to answer your question, that was the sign around that time. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm done with this. Um, we're not going to do that anymore. And I started learning more about wholesaling. Uh, I joined the property mob. PropertyMob.com is another shout out. My girl, Tracy Kaywood. Tracy Kaywood. She's got some good shit, man. You should definitely go check that out. Yeah. Stone Cold Closer. Serious as a heart attack. Yeah. Her shit works, man. She's awesome. So I learned a lot from her. I learned a lot of the systems I use from her. 
So I joined that at that time and um, I just started learning. I start. I, I was already really, already really new marketing in terms of direct mail. I'd used it in my short sale business. I'd used it in my, um, you know, all my real estate investing business from day one. I'd use that uh, direct mail. So, <clears throat> um, so I started sending postcards and late in 2013, I sent a postcard to a guy in Royal Oak who called and responded and I drove well from home at that time. We had finally just moved back into our house. This was probably July and uh, went and looked at the house and um, made him an offer. I was going to try to rehab it. This was going to be one of my first solo rehab jobs. And I was trying to find funding. So I called two people that I'd used for funding previously, uh, Jeff Rabinowitz and Tom Otterman. And those guys both talked about the deal together and they're like, yeah, I don't really think we want to fund this. This doesn't look like a good flip. We're not sure. And I had told uh, Tom, I think I'm like, you know, I, I'm not really, I don't have to do a flip. I would wholesale this. If I, you know, if you want to buy it five grand, I'll sell it to you. And that got them thinking wholesaler was born. Yeah. That got them thinking too, because Uh tear down and new construction was Watch built. out Detroit. Yeah. So, and then I flipped and something's going on with the mic here. Getting some static anyway. So I flipped that to those guys who tore it down and put up a new beautiful house that, you know, sold for 400, some thousand, several, you know, I think it took them about 18 months to do. Um, but it was a great experience for me flipping that. That was the first real wholesale deal I did. I watched that thing from start to finish. Yeah. That was Gardenia. Yeah, Gardenia. I remember. Yeah. yeah. I talked to Jeff about that a lot. Yeah. It was cool watching Jeff, Tom, mm-hmm. Todd, and John work as the first people I know who, who had actually torn down a house and built a new construction house. And what Me caught too. my attention too was they uh, poured the foundation in the winter. Mm-hmm. And they could put antifreeze in concrete or something. I I had no clue about that kind of yeah. thing. They posted a bunch of videos online, so that was cool. So that was your that was that like the first wholesale? Or like- I, that was either the first wholesale or the second. The first one was a Detroit house um, that I I got in my marketing. I actually got it from Z Buyer Z which I had mixed success with, but they I was dealing on a house in Warren and they own this house in Detroit too. So I made them an offer. They accepted it. I found a buyer. I made, I think I made 2,500 bucks on it. Um, That's not bad. That was my first wholesale deal ever, I think. And then I did the Gardenia one uh, like a month later, something like that. And so, yeah, I was like, wow, that was pretty awesome. That was pretty easy. I didn't have to raise any money. I didn't have to borrow any money. I didn't have to deal with contractors. I didn't have to, manage or rehab or or do anything like that all i did was find the deal which i'm pretty good at i've known how to do that and then found a buyer to buy it i know tons of buyers i know tons of rehabbers in this area and all that i'm like oh, all right i think i can handle that i think i can do that and uh yeah that was really when it was like okay game on game you know, on yep game on like it, donkey Kong. it took off from there in fact that was like July, August, we separated. I separated with the other company officially. And then uh, September, I closed a couple deals. October, I dropped. October 1st, I still remember, I dropped like $2,500 worth of postcards. And October 6th, I got a phone call that would ultimately lead to a $24,000 check. Oh. And that was 
the first home run wholesale deal where I was like, Oh man, this, I can really do this. And I, I'm just, just doing it. I didn't know what I was doing. I learned stuff off the internet. I had experience as an investor. I had experience as a negotiator, as a closer and dealing with banks, um, and dealing with homeowners sometimes, but I was really good at finding deals. I know how to find people that want to sell their house or people that have houses that they may want to sell. I'm good at getting the phone to ring. So that's what I focus my energy on. I would say you're pretty good at getting them to sign too, at least, uh, at least in my, my experience too. So a wholesaler was born then and there. Yep. Big $24,000 check. Yeah. Big $24,000 check. That was huge. Life, I bet that, you bet that was nice too. After that dry spell, things get a little thin. Yep. Well, it was funny too. Was Dust I, and moss come out of your wallet when you open right? it up. I dropped that, dropped those postcards and Bernadette's like, you spent how much on what? And I'm like, yeah, it'll pay off. Fight, yeah. It's, it's all right. Don't worry. It'll pay off. Cause I really couldn't afford it at the time. It was a lot. It was a big chunk. It was Can a you step ever up. though? That's okay. Well, the thing was, I spent, it was 90 days or at least 60 days worth of postcards. I like scheduled the rest of the year of postcards. So it was done. The calls were going to come in. All I had to do then was focus on answer the phone, return the call, meet with the seller, lock it up. Yep. So I kind of worked it in phases. Get the phone to ring. All right. I got that down. Now schedule it out for 90 days or so to make it consistent. And then the phone calls are coming in. All right. Make those phone calls, return the calls, talk to the sellers schedule appointments. So this, this deal in particular was a deal in Milford. I've talked about this deal before too on stages and stuff at Ria's, but so I'm, it was like a Tuesday or a Wednesday and I'm, I'm on the phone. I saw the call come in. I'm sitting in line at my stepson's school waiting to pick him up. I see the call come in on my phone. I'm like, all right, cool. So I get home and I call her up. It's probably about four o'clock. And as I'm talking to her, she's, I mean, she's motivated. She is a motivated seller. And I got to the point, I was, I was planning to book the appointment. She lived in Milford or the house was in Milford. My son lives in Highland. So he goes to like Milford, Huron Valley schools. He lives right there. I'm thinking, okay, I'll just go do this Friday. I'll pick Brendan up and we'll go look at the house, knock it all out at once. The words that she was saying to me on the phone changed that within like, three minutes i'm just done uh how if i could pay you all cash and close whenever you want what's the least that you'd consider and on the phone originally when pat live my answering service asked her she said i think 80 and then she said oh i don't know 70 maybe 60 any less than 60 i'd really have to think about it she dropped her price 20 grand with the question i'm like I love when they talk themselves yeah down. well i really need to see the house when can i can i come out there today I was planning on Friday. I'm like, I need to do this now because if anybody else talks to her, they're going to lock this house up. So this was a probate. Basically, this was an absentee owner, but she had inherited this house and was just paying the taxes. It wasn't rented, paying the taxes, paying all the utilities. The lights were on. It's a pain in the ass. It's like a money sink. She just paid it every month or just for, for like two years. Oh, my God. So she was finally ready to be done. The pain was real. I locked it up that day for 40,000. Oh, and she dropped her price in half in a day. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I got there and we're walking through the house, I just kept pointing things out and talking and pointing things out. And again, I asked her and I remember we're we're staying in the basement, almost in this like storage room. If I could pay you all cash 
close as soon as you want. What's the least you'd consider? And then I just shut the fuck up and sat there. That's the way to do it. It was awkward because it was silent. I mean, it was like a minute. She's like, um, I don't know. I don't know. 50. I don't know. Maybe 45. Would you take 40? Yeah, I think so. All right. I got the contract out. Oh, yeah. Went Just so happens, the table, I have a purchase and sale Started filling it out right there. <laughs> and I left the house Stone with the cold contract. closer. And then on the way home, I made a phone call and ultimately ended up selling it to that person. But I showed it the next day to Todd and uh, Todd and John, actually. Um, they passed on it and needed too much work for them. Another guy who I had sold a note in Milford to. Um, actually, I sold the house, but we had foreclosed on it and all that. And so I called him. I knew someone that bought in Milford. I'm like, this guy will buy it. Who will do it? He did 65 grand instantly. I, he gave me a thousand on the spot. I think he gave me a hundred bucks on the spot. That's what he had in cash. Give me a hundred bucks, sign the contract, closed. He was ready to close in a week. It took a couple of weeks for the seller to get, she was, she disappeared for a minute and it was kind of crazy, which happens a lot it with does. wholesalers. Yeah. I mean, you deal with distressed properties, you're going to deal with, crazy people you know well you're dealing with problems right problems probate deal there's a reason they need to sell this house right yeah their life is screwed up they're getting divorced there's a death in the family we're not meeting these people on the best days of their lives right yeah at the best times we're not trying to trash them we're just trying to (laughs) accurately describe the situation i'm sure they've all gone on to better things with their problems solved well it's you know that's the thing is this problem is so stressful for a lot of people and that house i mean it was her husband's house he passed away, left it to her. She didn't want it. She didn't want to deal with it. She was just dealing with it for two years. And then I needed a document or something from her. That's what the issue was. And I just kept trying to get, she just disappeared though. So she just wasn't returning my calls. I had to actually physically go to her house, her actual house. Cause mind you, we didn't meet at her house before. I don't know that she knew I had her address. I just, I mean, it was on the mailing, I guess the postcard, but I just showed up one day and started knocking and she was there, thankfully. And she came, Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And blah, blah, whatever the excuses were. Whatever. If I wouldn't have just, if I just waited for her or you might have been still waiting, if I just kept calling. So yeah. I don't remember who it was that said that. I think it was one of my coaches, um, at the time about a, just a CD that I'd heard though. His name's Mark Hoffman. Um, Mark with a C Hoffman, H O F F M A N N. If anybody cares to look him up. He's an awesome dude. He said something on an audio recording I heard one time, and it was like, just go to their house. It's like, hey, I've been I've been trying to reach you. I haven't been able to get a hold of you. I want to make sure everything's okay. Make sure you're not dead in the yeah. room. Something. So make sure you you're deal, all right. And then, ready to go. We need the sheet of paper. You're not answering your phone. It went right into, and I just did that, and it worked. And it was, and we closed literally like a week later. Yeah. And that was, in fact, that still is the best wholesale deal I've ever done, 24 24 grand that was so that's a good one well that's how you get paid in wholesaling yeah it's problems all around and if you can't solve the seller's problem and sometimes you have to solve the seller's problem because the seller's the problem Mm -hmm. and you have to go a knocking so that's cool so you went a knocking and got it done yep good job coach just gotta do Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yep. So, But I might not even have thought of that if I hadn't heard Mark say it was something along a similar line, too. It was a, like they had an agreement, but they needed the wife's signature. They needed something, and they just weren't responding. And like, yeah, sorry, wife was in the hospital, and we're going to get taken care of. I'm just overwhelmed with 
you know, life and didn't, I didn't know what to say. Hey, my wife's in the hospital. I, I can't deal with this right now. Follow up in two weeks would have been totally fine, but I people don't think about have it. been there. Yeah. There was a point where I got so many nasty emails and phone calls where I just quit answering and quit responding. Yeah. I still until very recently had a problem with email where I didn't even want to fucking read it. Yeah. Cause it was weeks and months of you miserable piece of shit. You fucking ruined my life. I hope you die. And mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, that feels good today. And then you yeah. get the voicemails and the calls and yeah, sometimes you just let life get in the way and I let life get in the way. And I know there were people who did have to come to my door for things mm-hmm. and I was embarrassed about it, but I did something about it. Then, yeah. You know? It made you so, act. Right. So I'm not, we're not trying to say these people are bad. No, not They're at doing all. Wrong thing. Life happens, folks. Life happens. And sometimes problems get so big that you will let somebody else make money to solve them and you yeah. don't care. Yes. You could go out and do it all on your own. We yep. know that you have a house. It's worth a hundred thousand dollars. If you could have the money and you could fix it up and you can list it with a real estate agent and you had the time and the energy and the effort and the inclination and the knowledge. And then sometimes you just tap out Yep. and you let somebody else make that money. If you were to do that, you might go to Steve buys houses, fast.com Steve buys houses, fast.com. And if you were looking to purchase a deal like that, you might go to three, one, three, cashdeals.com 313cashdeals.com look for a new and improved 313cashdeals.com coming soon too because that that website is shit it is coming soon how <laughs> coming soon as in how soon yeah uh, by the when? end of the year i guess by the how, end of the year. how what am i doing when what kind of interview am i yeah. when by the end of the year by the end of the year so by the yep. beginning of 2016 that's right but they can still go there now sign up absolutely all these amazing deals right sign up with your email and make sure you opt in. Make sure you click on the uh, the link that gets emailed to you or you won't get them. And I send out deals every week. So. so wholesaling is more than just sending out postcards and and that. What does wholesaling look like? I mean, obviously, don't give away any trade secrets or anything like that. But what's For nine ninety five. But if you go to yeah. stevebuyshousesfast.com. Actually, I tried that route to flipwithsteve.com. It's still live. It didn't work out too well. Well, but. no, you just had too many ass clowns, man. I think I it's a numbers game. Well, I know what I did wrong, too. I didn't provide certain things that they needed. I thought they'd be able to pick it up a little faster. But uh, if I ever do something like that again, I'll, I got some better ideas. But anyway. Yeah, back to it. So wholesaling is more than just sending out some postcards and taking some calls. It's a business. What does that look like start to finish? I mean, we're you're looking for... <clears throat> Someone who has a problem, either an ugly house, some yeah. sort of motivation, right? How does that work? How do you mail to them, all that? Yeah, so usually, I mean, I, I need a motivated seller to be able to get them to accept my price, right? Yeah. For me to buy a house for 60 to 65 uh, cents on the dollar of what it's worth, fixed up. Minus rehab. Minus rehab. They need a reason to sell it for that low. A good reason. A good reason. Yeah. Um, usually, it's... it. It's more on they're just tired of it. They're just sick of it. Um, so you find you need someone that's motivated like that to make a deal. So obviously you need to target people who may have situations of distress. Uh, pre-foreclosure. You know, if you're in a state that has a lot of equity, pre-foreclosure is a good, a good distress list. Michigan still doesn't have enough equity, I don't think, to target that list. I don't want to do short sales. So I'm not mailing to that list. Um, probates. 
Divorce may be a good one. I never actually used that, but that makes sense. That'd be a good list to try to mail to. I mail to absentee owners, which isn't necessarily a motivated list. Um, but you do get the people that are just like, yeah, I'm just done. I've owned this house for 30 years. I'm sick of it. I've made my money back and you know, 10 times or whatever. A lot of tires. One out. A lot of tires. Yeah. 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 Which I'm sure we'll end up on someday. I, no. I'm already on one. I'm sure if someone <laughs> right now, I have a house in Cairo. If, if you, you want to buy it, refuse. <laughs> I may or may not accept it. Yeah. Hey, I have been there. Yeah. I, I have personally been there. Sometimes when I just literally, I had a private lender. It was a multi-year lawsuit. He finally got access to his properties my name was trashed so bad in my list. I had to get rid of my list. I couldn't keep anything. Yeah. And I just got, sometimes I was grateful to have them sold by you. I might add. I was going to say, wait, I flipped one, two of them, right? Two of them. Yeah. yeah. The only two we ever, yeah. The rest are all gone, gone, okay. gone. Thanks to our lovely uh, justice department, <laughs> you know, just us. Yeah. Um, that really helped me out. And my lender got some <coughs> money, some money back, uh, wasn't great, but yeah. it was all we were going to get. It wasn't the property's fault that it was four years later and back yeah. taxes and bullshit and lawyers fees. So, and so that was a referral too. So anyway, so how do you find these lists? Like where, where do you get a list? Well, there's multiple sources that you can go to. And actually now time for another plug. The first episode of flip this with Steve Londo is going to be focused on how to find motivated sellers. So you can tune into that before Halloween. And that'll be way detailed, right? That will be extremely detailed. So point, point the listener in the right direction until such a day. Yeah. So for now, uh, this will be detailed enough too, though. You can go to listsource.com. You can go to listability.com. That is, I, I use listability. I've used list source. I use it for finding, um, target markets. Um, but for my main mailing list, I use listability. And basically what you do is you, you go onto one of these websites and you can pull a list, a mailing list. You can search for, uh, absentee owners is the easy one that especially on listability, they have a master absentee owners database. You basically, uh, click on that and you walk through the steps. You will, it is a little bit complicated. That's why, I will in my show notes have a video up of how to do it. But basically you, you put in like your zip codes that you want to mail to. Let's say you want to focus on Detroit. Let's say a lot uh, of zip codes in Detroit. Four, eight, two, two, one. That's say. a good zip code. Um, that's the only zip code you want to focus on. You're going to put in that zip code and you're going to push uh, like count or calculate. And it'll tell you how many leads that match, uh, how many names that match the criteria that you've put in. You can search criteria like no mortgage, no mortgage data. So sometimes there's a mortgage, but it's not for some reason showing up in the search. <clears throat> Maybe it's a really old mortgage, in which case that's fine. Maybe it's a really new mortgage, which obviously we don't want that. In Detroit, though, most of them don't even have mortgages. Yeah. So what your values going, are so low. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody still owns a house after the foreclosure crisis probably owns it frankly. Yeah. So there's multiple ways you can put different selects in. So you can put in zip code. You can put in loan amount, uh, loan to value if there's a loan. So I usually start at 40% loan to value, which means the loan value would only be 40,000 on a hundred thousand dollar house. So I use that select and you know, there's other ones you can do. You could pick uh, homeowners over a certain age. Um, you could pick how long they've lived in the house over 10 years. You can 
select all these different variables and it'll give you a count of how many names. And then you buy the, buy the list of names. And I, I don't know, I think it's like 35 cents a name. Um, something like that. And 30 to 40 cents a name, something like that. And it, uh, the minimum was like 95 bucks. Almost every list I bought early on because they were smaller was around a hundred bucks. When I bought a bigger list, in fact, I think I bought a, a list of about 10,000 names. And it was like 300 and some dollars. So do the math. Step one, purchase list from some source, qualified yep. as best you can, narrow your marketing down to the smallest, smallest pool who would, yep. don't, don't shrink the pool artificially. Just make sure they're the most likely to say yes. Yeah. Because it's not like postcards are cheap, you know. Right. I mean, they are cheap, but not when you're mailing 10000 Right. And that's the other thing. You want to make sure if you're just starting, uh, if you're brand new to the business or if you're just starting in this niche, you, you don't want to mail 10,000 postcards no. if you can't handle the call volume. Test, test, test. Start small and mail weekly. So, and give it a good 60 days before you make any major changes. I mean, if you obviously aren't getting any calls, you can pick that up, but you have, there's two things you have to do when you're doing direct mail, mail consistently more than one time. So that means you don't mail 10,000 names and stop. You break it out over time. You want mail dropping every single week and you want to hit each person on your list multiple times preferably three to five times and even, you know, seven or nine times, depending on what list it is. But so, yeah, I mean, you find your list and you you have to, whether you do yellow letters or postcards, if you don't know what a yellow letter is, a yellow letter, it's called a yellow letter because it's written on yellow legal paper. Right. But it could be any paper, right? It can be any you paper. You do yellow paper. I do yellow paper. And yeah. the reason I do is because it's been proven that it works. And I've tested other color paper, other color pens, and I've gotten the most success and the highest response rate with the standard yellow letter. So you didn't randomly <clears throat> pick this thing? Not at all. Tested. I I picked it because it worked. Steve approved. But then I tested other shit to see if that worked better. It didn't. So yellow paper, red pen, red uh, felt tip. Like uh, paper mate, paper mate. Yeah. yeah, I know it. Yep. So, and then invitation size envelopes, um, ivory actually, and that matters too. That's like three by five, three inches by five inches, yep. or three and a half by five. Just not your standard number ten, yep, yeah, white envelope with a little no. Yeah. It looks, looks like, like a, a bill. Yeah. So the invitation size envelope. In fact, I don't have any with me. Um, are uh, it looks like you're being invited to a party, right? Yeah. Or something. Or grandma sends you a card. Something. There's probably money in that yeah, thing. There Open is. It. If yeah. they call, there's money in there. If they so, call and they went to stevebuyshousesfast.com, they might get some money, right? That's right. Stevebuyshousesfast.com, ladies and gentlemen. Keep this podcast going. These people don't make any money. They're not going to share all their wares with us, man. <laughs> so, okay. So I mail, you know, I mail postcards. I mail, I've mailed yellow letters. Excuse me. Now, the difference between the two, uh, number one is cost. Yellow letters cost a little bit more. About if you're writing them yourself and or, or you're having someone, it's about a buck per letter. At least that's the number I use for my budgeting purposes and everything. Um, and postcards are about 50 cents, like 46 cents or something like that. So there's the cost. <clears throat> the yellow letter gets a higher response, um, but you get a lot more. What is this all about? 
calls and who are you calls they need you from a post this house isn't for sale why are you calling how'd you yeah. know how'd, how'd you, you get my out? information yeah a lot of that public records folks yep so that's the What's one a good way to overcome that objection just out of curiosity i mean we're talking about it so what, yeah so what would, what would the londo say well what what's be the be the seller let's do that be the seller um yeah so i got this letter um it had my address on it i I mean, I wasn't selling my house. How, how did, I mean, how'd you get my information? Where did you get this from? Am I on a website somewhere or something? Uh, no. Well, Jeremy, my name's Steve. I'm a professional real estate investor and I mail to people who own houses in areas that I'm looking for more properties in. So your house on Prest in Detroit is an area that I'm looking for more properties in. So public records shows that you own this house and that it's not your primary residence because the tax address is different than the mailing address. So I know it's not your primary residence or typically assume. And so I target people that are in that situation. Do are you happen? Are you interested in selling your house? Well, yeah, I mean, I might be interested in selling my house and then boom, right into the rest of the script. Take me off your list. Okay. Stop sending me mail. I have to look at for five seconds before I throw it away. Now I'm all upset. I've had people write me back and tell me my, their house is not for sale. I've had them write me back and say, make me an offer. There's a website, there's a phone number, but they took the time to write. Sometimes they write a whole new letter or they've typed up a letter, printed it out, signed it, mailed it back. Yeah. Did everything but call. Yeah. Yeah. I just pretty much ignore them, but I don't do anything with those. I probably should. I, I should write them back. To them. I have not got a response back. <clears throat> yeah. I don't think it's worth doing, but I do it yeah. just so you know. That's funny. Just so you're aware, I respond <coughs> when I receive them. So, okay. So you, you send out the postcard or the yellow letter. Yep. And then the phone rings. Who, who answers the phone? Do you have it go to your cell phone? What do you do? I used to have it go to my cell phone. Back in the lake house in 13, they were all coming to my cell phone. I didn't have another option. I guess I did. I could have used Google Voice. I started using Google Voice, but I was having issues with it. So I went to, I just answered it. And if I didn't answer it, then I, you know, they left a message or I called them back or whatever. Um, I tried Google Voice after that as well. And I personally don't like... The voicemail, I hate leaving voicemails. I don't like listening to voicemails. Voicemail on my cell phone is not set up since I got this phone purposely. I've noticed. I hate voicemail. So I don't, you know, and then it would email me the transcript and the transcript will be all weird because yeah, it's Google. Yeah, it never does but, a good job. You yeah. know, so. Get with it, Google, if you're listening. <laughs> They're not. <laughs> no, but they, uh, you know, so that got old real fast. I heard about Pet Live which is a live answer phone service for real estate investors. I'd heard about them for years, but I kind of, I heard about him again and was like, you know, I should probably try that. Um, the coaching group that I was in had some kind of discount or deal or whatever. And so I signed up through them and man, it was the best decision I ever made. Cause then every phone call was getting answered live. That helps. And then I would get an email afterwards with the seller's information. And all I had to do was call them back. I didn't have to spend time on the phone with all those people that said, take me off the list. Even if it was only for three minutes, I didn't have to do that. That's three minutes. I could have been doing something better. Well, it adds up to how expensive is this? Is it affordable or what's it look like? It's about, I want to say 60 or $70 per month for like the membership, you know, the sign up. Um, I think it's 50 and then uh, it's a dollar per minute. So I have a fairly high call volume. The, my most expensive pet live bill to date has been like 
a thousand dollars just under and the lowest is generally 100 250 bucks 300 bucks usually so well the idea is too is you can't answer the phone they, what if they call at the same time what if they call yeah. when you're on an appointment and yeah. then what if they don't leave a voicemail I, the idea is to capture their information and always be answering so yeah. if you're wondering how you could do this while you're still working a job full-time or part-time or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad something disabled try to change jobs want to test it out before you really jump in or you just can't always be answering the phone. Mm-hmm. You might want to consider there are other services too. Uh, what else is there besides Pat Live? Um, I think there's Answer America. I think is one. Just do a Google search, yeah. folks. But I, I've had good success with Pat Live. We're yeah. having some issues right now, but it's more um, Zoho, I think, which is my CRM, which we'll get into in a few more minutes. But yeah, a few. That's actually the next one. So okay. now that the phone is being answered. Yeah. There's obviously they have a list of questions, right? Or you wouldn't just have some yep. random. They shit have a in. script. Yeah, they have a script. And obviously scripts, address, why are you selling, mm-hmm. what's the lowest you consider, that kind of information, right? Yeah, it's the basic information about the house. The most important, though, being the address and their phone number. Yeah. And if possible, an email address. Yes. I've got an autoresponder that is working tremendously when I get an email address. So I'm, I'm making sure they're asking for that. So when Pat Live is entering this information, does it just go to you an email or what happens with it? Um, I've set it up where Pat Live actually goes to a website um, that I've created that's a private page and they there's a web form on that page. And that form is from my CRM, which is called Zoho. Um, and you can also, it's basic, it's based off of actually Godfather CRM is based off of what I use. Um, and it's essentially exactly what I use. Um, I didn't upgrade to it because I already had it. So they, it's just basically a, a white label for Tracy K Woods, uh, Godfather CRM. So I use Zoho CRM and they have a custom form that has all the property information. It's basically the script on a web form version. They fill that out. They click enter and it's, it's there. It's in my leads. And this is custom customizable too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, completely. And there's lots of other CRMs. Folks. So I would, this is one of the biggest, I want to go on record. The biggest mistake I made 10 years, real estate investing. Well, 10 years. I wasn't all, I was getting my ass kicked for like three of those years since I started. You cannot remember everything folks. You can't, it's not possible, especially if you drop thousands of postcards or something like that. I think this would apply to no matter what you're selling, you need some sort of customer management system. There's lots of them out there. Zoho, Infusionsoft, um, Podio, Podio. There's a lot. And some of them are free for a freedom. Yeah. Freedom. So flow. Do something. Get all the plugs in. Yeah, do something. Yeah. It may, it start. I say start with a good foundation. And no matter what you're doing, you have customers, mm-hmm. and you should be tracking them some way. And they should be on what you were talking about earlier. The people who call in, they have a and they have an email address. There's with that system. There's automated follow up with that system. Right? What does that look yeah. like? Yeah, and actually, I've used every single one of those CRMs that I mentioned too. I've okay. tried every one, and I stuck with this one for a reason. So, which is Zoho, mm-hmm. right? Go to Zoho.com and look up their CRM, or yeah. maybe go to Tracy K Wood Property yeah, go Mob. To, yeah, Property Mob. Let's do that com. instead. Go to PropertyMob.com, and if and you're interested, go to their Godfather. I think she has a couple choices there. Mm-hmm. Her name's Tracy K Wood. Um, it's not going to cost you any more. It's just already customized for you. 
you would have to pay somebody to customize it anyway or do the work yeah. and it would help her out and we would appreciate that because she helps us out a lot right yeah. she's awesome so i love trace she's awesome so <clears throat> so my crm basically what happens in fact here i just want to show jeremy this real quick yeah. this is funny while we've been here talking here's a lead that just got put in from my Ooh, website actually, i like that uh from pet live so that's the email. I'm calling bullshit on that fifty thousand number. Though. I know, right? Yeah, I, I know that's not true. That might be twenty max, yeah. twenty two. It's on Parkside though. Park. Well, what? Where is it at? Six Mile Parkside. Two three eight. So I don't know. No, south. too far south. Okay. Yeah. Nice yeah. try. Nice try, Patricia, or whatever yeah. your name is. No, it's just Pat Live. Yeah. <laughs> Raphael. Yeah. Rachel. Whatever your name is. We'll nice Begin a call here in a minute. Yeah. As soon as we're done with this podcast, we're going to be over. Look yeah. at your house and buy it. All right, so so my CRM. So basically, the way that it works is a a lead comes in, and I'm I'm currently over the next six weeks or so revamping this process. Not revamping it, tweaking it, making it better. May I suggest a word? Sure. Refining. Refining. I like that word. There you go. Improving upon Improving. what already works. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely refining and making this much better, much, much better. So I sound really bad right now. But. Do you? <clears throat> well, it doesn't okay, look like better. them. it's plugged in all the way, push all the way. Is that what it is? I don't know. Maybe yeah, not. I sound better now. Well, it's not like I know anything about this shit without you. You don't have headphones either. No. Anyways, so. You sound awesome. <laughs> so I think we'll go back to playing music. Yeah. So. All right, so the lead comes in, and the way that it's set up is it will trigger certain tasks that get hit. So in my instance, a lead comes in, there's return seller call, which will go to the lead owner, most of the time you, sometimes me, whoever's Doesn't matter back. who. Somebody gets matter. an email. Someone gets that lead. An alert. And then my VA, who is in the Philippines, gets several tasks. One of them is you know, create a Dropbox folder. Uh, to store our pictures and all these things are a lot of these processes are going to change in the specifics. But the point is when the lead comes in, they automatically get assigned a task. Things happen without you being yes. involved because the yes. systems you set up through Zoho in the first place, which is yep. why you should go to propertymob.com, sign up for that shit, folks. That's right. So <clears throat> after that, um, every time the status changes, so the lead comes in, it's basically in pre-screening. When we set an appointment to go look at the house, it'll switch to pending inspection. And that'll trigger more tasks. So you can assign who the tasks go to. You can assign what the tasks are. Uh, if you go, if you sign up for Godfather, you'll have a template version in there that you can customize. Um, if you create your own, you're, you know, you can create whatever you want in terms of uh, the workflow. Yeah. And if you hate um, <clears throat> Zoho or whatever, Podio, there are other people. If you're just looking for something to get started, I I like it. It works well. But if you just hate it, the point is do something. Use something. Don't yeah. not, not paper and pencil. Your brain is very yeah. limited. Let's face it. You're an ape, Ron. You're, yeah, you're probably not that smart of an ape either. <laughs> well, Ron's a smart ape, but Ron, he's a very I'm, smart. I'm talking ape. to you. Yeah, he knows. He's used Zoho, but yeah. he's got that photographic memory thing going, which I don't have. No, so. I don't either. But so the tasks are customizable. They come in and you can, and they, the, the workflow is customizable. So you can, you can adjust that however you need. I am trying to, my goal by uh, the end of the second quarter of next year is to be completely out of the loop of the day-to-day operation of the business. And that we just get an email or report or something like that, a, a weekly meeting. And I'm going to 
I'm going to have access to all the reporting and all that stuff anyways. But in terms of Steve driving to seller's houses and locking up contracts, Steve, you know, showing buyers properties, that stuff's going to end because, um, I should be doing, there's more things I can do. I want to grow the business overall. Higher level stuff, right? Yeah. Higher level stuff. The podcast is going to be a a very important tool. Um, flip this podcast.com, which actually, um, his first episode is going to cover all this and much more detail. So make sure you go to flip this podcast.com. Can they sign up right now and get an email or something? Uh, or? Not right now. Actually, if you go to uh, flipwithsteve.com, you can sign up on that email list. And, and you'll I'm make sure. To, yep. Yeah. And I'll make sure to post it to the Renegade Detroit uh, page on Facebook, too, so you can look out for it there when it happens. But I know you. after listening to this, you're going to want more, and you should want more if you have two brain cells together, and you should go check that out. So, so they call in. Pat Live actually enters it into Zoho mm-hmm. and creates a list of tasks. People get emails, all that return seller calls process goes through. It basically walks you through the whole process. Customizable. Go to propertymob.com. Well, okay. What now you got a PA? What now? A signed purchase and sale so, agreement. So now we've got a signed purchase agreement. The same thing happens. The lead gets converted from a lead to a transaction in the CRM and more tasks pop up. Order title work. Um, you know, send the property out to the buyer's list and several things that get done. Um, in specifics, what I do is, and maybe not me personally, but what we have been doing, what my system is. So the lead comes in, we will put an email blast out using a Weber. Um, and we send that out to my buyer's list from 313cashdeals.com. 313cashdeals.com, ladies and gentlemen, go there, sign up, get good deals. And so those people, uh, get those emails and respond back with, you know, yeah, I want I want this house or can I schedule a walkthrough, whatever it is. If I've done business with them before, it's generally, yeah, no problem. If it's someone new, it's I usually need proof of funds. Um, and if they want, if it's a tenant occupied property, it's a purchase agreement, proof of funds, non-refundable deposit, because I don't want to disturb the tenant for someone that's just kicking tires. Yeah. You know, so. Um, so that process starts. I'm I'm right now uh, selling the houses. So I'm I'm negotiating with buyers. I'm the one uh, disposition manager. Disposition manager. I'm the boss man. Yep. So I, I'd like to step out of that role, uh, but I don't want to rush it because I want to make sure I have it under control. It's, when it's not happening actively, it's probably just sit on the shelf. And right now I have like no inventory, and that's because I just started hustling the properties and making sure they were getting out there. Um, you got to have someone actively talking to all the sellers every day. You need to be talking to sellers every day, every day. You need to be talking to buyers. If you have deals under contract, a day should not pass that you're not hustling that deal to somebody posting it on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Let's keep it real. You should have a podcast. You should have a YouTube channel. You should be on Periscope. Yeah. Um, people aren't going to find out about you just on accident. You, You need to put yourself out there too. No matter what you do. I don't care if you're selling clothes. Yeah. Facebook, Twitter, get out there, promote yourself, tell people what you're doing uh, in real life and in the internet, folks. Yep. Yep. So from there, um, you know, the property gets locked up. I get a a purchase agreement from the seller or the, excuse me, from the buyer will order title work. Generally we upload that uh, to Zoho and we change the task to investor pending or whatever. And that'll trigger a task to the VA to order title work. Um, 
remove the pro once and then once it's closed, remove the lockbox uh, as a task. Uh, you know, remove the property from the website, which we haven't been putting properties on the website because um, they haven't lasted very long usually. So they're they're sold before I can even get them up to the website. You better be on the email <clears throat> list, folks. Three one three cashdeals dot com. Yep, that is the exclusive place that I am sending my deals. Once that email goes out, I, it creates automatically a Facebook and a Twitter post. And so I'll post those and share those in groups from time to time, um, boost those posts using Facebook marketing from time to time. But email, uh, if it's a good deal, it doesn't last very long at all. Yeah. And, of course, you're using a purchase and sale agreement, which is assignable. Do you want mm-hmm. to talk about that real quick? Yeah. Actually, my <clears throat> my purchase agreement with the seller specifically in it states that it's assignable. It specifically states that it, that I can list the house for sale on the MLS, um, that I can show it to buyers, controversy, sellers, buyers, renters, all that. Um, the contract explicitly says that. So that's covered in there. Um, and then the buyer contract, the one I use a separate contract for buyers uh, there's no inspection contingency. Their uh, earnest money deposits non-refundable, and it's typically closed within ten days, usually. Fast, yeah. Close You're getting fast. a good deal, yeah. Yeah, you got to move it's fast. Cash, it's cash. It's a good deal. There's no need to. There's, why do we need? Wait you can move days? slow. It'll just cost you more. It'll cost a you more, more, or it'll cost you a deal because you won't get this house. Yeah, because someone else will close in ten days. Um, and typically. Money equals speed. I mean, we yeah, talked about that Let's talk before. about that because I – Renegade Detroit Investors has been having a monthly meeting for eight years now, seven, eight years, something like that. And you only get one opportunity to make a first impression. Where I see a lot of people going wrong is they're not ready for prime time. They want a good deal, but they're not ready. They don't know where they're buying, so they're just looking at everything – they're kicking tires. They're wasting people's time. And mm-hmm. I know they're not doing it to ruin somebody's life or to be difficult. They just don't know. They don't know. Maybe they just heard about wholesaling. They heard about assignments. They're, they don't know how to evaluate a property, whatever. So if somebody ends up by going to 313cashdeals.com and signing up, how does somebody be? how is somebody taking seriously on that list? Because there's a wrong way to do it a right way to do it, and in between, what's the wrong way to do it, and then what's the right way to do it? Well, for starters, I can tell you, number one, one of the worst things you can do is ask me a question that is answered in the email you got. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. So means you can't read. Don't email me and ask what the taxes are if I say it in the email. I do forget from time to time, so I'm not going to kill you if you ask me a question I don't already answer. But if I've answered, I've, I'm trying to be very clear in what in my email what uh, this deal is. Yeah, because you're providing all the due diligence available. I, you I have, send everything right? I have. A hundred photos, typically, or upwards of a hundred photos, sometimes even more. Um, the it, the tax information, you know, bedroom, bath, square footage, if it's rented. What work you think is, it needs to be done the rehab estimate typically usually we'll start with what needs to be fixed uh, i try to stay away from pricing it, it just never fails the price is always different I yeah mean, our number is going to be different from their number not and my fucking problem basically i, I basically you figure just, it out yeah our number is eight thousand 
I don't know what yours is going to be, but this is where we came to 8,000, 3,000 for this, 1,000 for that, 500 for this. So I, I try to give them as much info as I have. Um, so if I say, uh, you know, 2014 taxes were 2475, don't email me and ask me what the taxes were. That's going to get delete and probably block, ignore. Yeah. You whatever. can't, you can't read the email sent. You're wasting yeah, my fucking time. Exactly. Right? Outside of that, uh, if you are serious in buying a property, um, if you're a tire kicker, go look at some other houses, get an idea of what you want first before you come. Because I deal with, these aren't my properties and I'm not a realtor. So most of the time I have limited opportunities to show the house to my buyers. A certain number of times, two or three, maybe two or three. max. Yep. Yeah. And I don't want to drive all over town needlessly. Showing people houses, allowing access. We don't always get a lockbox code. <clears throat> well, like you say, you're not box. a you're not a real you're not a buyer's agent. Yeah. You figure out the, the you're an investor, folks. Yeah. Put on your big boy pants, your big girl pants. You figure out what you want to fucking buy. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Figure it out. And if the price you see on my on my uh, email is too high, that's fine. If you want to buy it and would buy it at a lower price, feel free to email me and say, look. Uh, uh, you're asking 25. The most I could pay is 18. I don't know, whatever. Okay. I'll appreciate that. I'll look at it. If I get a number of those, I'm going to see there's a problem, but don't email me and say price is too high. Okay. Delete it. Yeah. Or don't, don't email respond. Me. Yeah. Don't respond. Or maybe you can go be a wholesaler. Yeah. Or yeah. if there's a reason it's too high or you like the house, but you say, I don't know. I think it's a little high and here's why. I'll take that. That's feedback. I a appreciate reason to, that. Uh, yeah. Feedback is appreciated. Yeah. But valuable feedback, just firing off an email. Oh, that's overpriced or oh, good luck with that one. That's an e- that's an easy way to get either blocked or just deleted from the list and not know? taken seriously at a later date, <clears throat> which is more important. If I keep you on the list and you call me on the house, you really do want, you know, good luck. Get in line. Yeah. Um, now, the right ways to do it. If you are serious, there's a house that you like that you're seriously interested in buying. Express that, send an offer, say, I'll take it, make an offer. If it's not the price, you know, if you want to send an offer for two grand less, send it. Know that those aren't, aren't always going to be accepted. So if you're just like, I always try to negotiate and get a deal. Understandable. That's just not always going to happen. So realize sometimes that will cost you a deal and not because, I'm being difficult or, or don't want to work with you. It's because someone else offered the actual value and beat you to it. So, well, yeah, we understand everybody's looking for a deal. I'm yeah. not hating on anybody yeah. looking for a deal. Exactly. That's exactly what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Just be serious about it, folks. For real. So when you find a property you like, act. Don't waste time. Act. That means write the contract, schedule your inspection, wire your EMD, whatever it is that you need to do, do it. And it's usually send the contract and send the EMD. Yeah. The highest offer isn't always the one accepted, right? Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. If you've done business before, if you're reliable, if the EMD's higher, if the closing date's faster, yep. all that. Now, I, I do want to say if you have questions and you've never done this before, you can tell somebody you're serious about buying this and ask questions. Absolutely. It's better to ask up front. Then later. So not mm-hmm. trying to scare you away, just not trying to let your uh, ignorance, not in a bad way. You just don't know. You haven't mm-hmm. done it before. Get in the way of getting a good deal. Right. Or ending up on the I'm seventh in line list. Yeah. Right. How many of those do you have? Yeah. A yeah. few. 
<laughs> it happens, right? Yeah. But I'll tell you one guy who, um, he he's in Boston. Actually, he just bought two properties from us last week, and he he emailed in that he had a question about a property. I answered it another time. A question, I answered it. wasn't It was just a it's just a simple question, like you kind of just said, and uh, wasn't answered in the email. I just quickly fired off a response, and he asked about one. I sorry that one's gone. The next deal he found that he wanted was a house in Inkster. He said, I want it. Uh, we take this price. I said, yes. I sent him a contract. He sent me, he was going to send a $10,000 EMD. Wow. The purchase price on the house, I think was 20. So I said, okay, it's non-refundable EMD. All right. And uh, he ended up buying that one and another property. Same thing though. He, I don't know him. He just joined the list um, through my whatever marketing. Serious um, dude though. Serious dude. And that's how you get taken seriously. Yeah. He, uh, so he asked questions, I, you know, that he's not here. He doesn't know. Is this a good area? That's a question I don't particularly like, but yeah, know yourself. Yeah. I, I say like it was Inkster. I, I, I told him what I thought I related to Detroit. I treat it like Detroit. That's what it is. But you know, send someone over there to check it out and make sure you like it before you do something else. So, um, but he, he was serious and the, the offer of the EMD, I think I was only asking 2,500 or something a thousand down maybe it's usually on a lower end house it's a thousand and he offered to put up 10 so i just wrote the contract for five yeah fundable for each one to show him a little good faith too like hey i appreciate that gesture five thousand's good follow through you know he did <clears throat> and uh we closed last week yeah. so yeah. so if you want to you should sign up for as many wholesaler lists especially mm-hmm. if you're getting started mm-hmm. that'll help you see what what prices are going for if you're looking to buy or you're looking to be a wholesaler too. It'll give you an idea on the marketing you should use, how you should respond, that yep. that kind of thing. There's a lot you can do before you actually do your first deal that is that takes time but doesn't cost you any money. Just pay mm-hmm. attention to what, what the local wholesalers are doing. Um, yep. And look hopefully at look at Zillow, look at other for sale uh, properties for sale from other wholesalers, from investors and from other real estate agents too. Yeah. Yeah, You should know the whole market. You should be looking. And I didn't bring this up to try and shame people or, or point it out. I just, I made a lot of mistakes starting too, and I didn't know they were mistakes and I know they cost me time and money. So whenever I have an opportunity to go back and say what I would do differently, if I can do it all over again, I try and point that out. And it's subject to change, too. I may change my mind in the future. So please don't take this as something wrong or whatever. We're just It's easy to be ignored in this business because most, most of this business is sorting through 96% of bullshit yeah. to the 4% that is serious. And it's a lot of that, yeah. If you don't go out of your way to try and distinguish yourself from the other 96%, you could accidentally end up at the bottom of the heap and take a couple months to work your way back forward. Right. Mm -hmm, For sure. You do get one opportunity to make a first impression either digitally or in real life. And, um, I made a lot of these mistakes on wholesaler list too. Yeah. I didn't know any better, you know? So please don't take that the wrong way, folks. I'm, I'm trying to be helpful. And if it's not helpful, just move on. You know, I don't need to necessarily hear about it. So man, that's quite the operation you got going. Yeah. What does the future hold for Mr. Lundo? Well, the immediate future is <clears throat> refining the current business, the current structure, uh, making it run, making it more automated, 
Um, I did a presentation on direct mail and automation. I think it was last summer, June or something like that. Yeah. Maybe it was 14 now. I don't know. I think I did a video of that, right? Yeah. yeah. I should post, if I can find it, I'll post it in the show notes too. Yeah. You should watch that because it's good. <clears throat> and actually I've got a, um, I have the, the presentation that I did, the slideshow, the PowerPoint, uh, up on SlideShare. So okay. You can, you can search slideshare.com for probably just my name. Can you send me the link? Maybe? Direct mail. Yeah. I'll, send I'll post you, put it in, it in the show too. notes. Yeah. Yeah. You should definitely watch that folks. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Really helpful. So, um, I'm trying to really automate and so that I can focus on other things besides just the day to day. I'm always going to work. I mean, always, I love the business too. So, but I want to grow. I want to, uh, expand probably to other states eventually and do some virtual wholesaling. Um, but I, first I want to dominate this market. I want to, I want to have, I want, when you think about wholesaling real estate in, in Metro Detroit, I want my company to be the first person that people think of the first group that people think of, um, from both a buyer's and a seller's perspective, I want sell my house. I want to be synonymous with people wanting to sell their house. Right. So, uh, we buy houses, Detroit, my website's number one in that keyword. I want to create a lot bigger around that. Um, the podcast, I want to do more coaching, uh, more mentoring. And I think the podcast is a way to do that for free for people that will really, um, I, I tried to, to help people. I tried to do it where it made sense for me to help them and monetize it myself. And it didn't work out the way I had hoped. So I thought this is a good way to give back for free, um, give some free content to people. And I, I really like, I've always wanted to podcast anyways. Generate some leads too. generate some leads. Keep it real, man. This is not uh this is not a nonprofit situation, right? Sure. We're looking to drum up some business here, folks. And you should be doing likewise. If you're not doing this, you need to be doing this. How else do you think it's going to happen? Yeah. They're not just going to come to your door and give you checks, folks. You need to do some things. So basically, Steve's looking to find the next generation of stone cold deal makers. And if you're that person, I'm really looking forward to the podcast. Flip this podcast.com by Halloween, October 31st of this year. The first episode will be out. You should go to flip this with what flip this with steve.com. Uh, flip with steve.com. Sorry, flip with steve.com and you can sign up there and I will make sure to post it on the Renegade Detroit investor page. We're, we're here. We're at the end wrapping this up. I do have a few more questions though. I got time. Good. If you're just sitting at home, you haven't done this before. What books and or websites and or other podcasts this is my favorite part because I always like to know what other successful people are reading, listening to, and watching. So I'm going to just open up the field. If somebody wants to read something, watch something, or listen to something, what does Steve read, watch, and listen to? Whew. Oh, man. I know there's going to be a lot. <clears throat> just fire them off. And I will put this in the show notes, folks. Maybe not initially when it's released, but keep checking back and it will be in the show notes. So, well, I'm an audiobook guy. I'm in the car. Like, like Tommy is an audiobook guy. I, I'd be rolling and listening. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> I'm trying to look on my iPad right now and I can actually pull up a couple. Um, the one thing is one that I know you've mentioned. Oh, before. hell yeah. That's, that's changing that's my life. Good. And it's fucking up my life too. If <laughs> in fact, 
I want to talk about, well, you're looking that up. I'm going to talk about uh, The One Thing by Gary Keller, which I want to thank Steve, Joe, and Tommy for making, to bring it to my attention to read. This book is life-changing, and if you're doing it correctly, and which I think I am, not only is it life-changing, but it is fucking up my life. When you just focus on the one thing, it's going to make you do something with all the other stuff in rapid order. And I don't know, it's kind of like working out. There's, there's, there's a difference from when you start and when you get there. And it's not something you just do once and you're done. It's something you have to do every day. And if you're doing that correctly, um, it will ruin certain parts of your life. And it is very much doing that to me. I'm so far behind on some stuff that it just became obvious. I don't have to do it. Yeah. Somebody else might do it, but I, I don't know. I just don't have time to do it. So yeah. I just, I want to talk about that one. I am seeing results in it already. It is also very frustrating because you're accustomed to doing something in a particular way. And that way is not giving you the results. Mm-hmm. You have to change it. It could be very frustrating. It was actually something I was thinking about this morning. I'm very frustrated by, I know I'm making progress, but it feels like lack of progress I never feel like I'm moving fast enough. I know, me too. It just it frustrates me to no end. But if if your change you're not making isn't creating pain of some sort somewhere, I don't think you're making big enough change. Yep, my that's two true. cents. So, did you pull up your list? I did. What does this Steve listen, read, and watch? So I listen to it. Obviously, there's a lot of real estate books, uh, personal development books. Uh, actually, an old school one that was awesome way back in the day: Trump style negotiation. That was cool. It's George Ross. Um, obviously, Trump being in the news now for absolutely crazy yeah. presidential run. But um, the four hour work week was a huge eye opener to me by Tim, uh, Tim Ferriss. <clears throat> if you haven't heard of that book, stop what you're doing. If you're a business owner and you've not read that book, you need to stop what you're doing and order it immediately, whether it's on your iPad or the physical book and audio book. Order it and start it immediately. That was a life changing book for he sure. He has a podcast too, the Four Hour Workweek podcast. And I'll Tim Ferriss show. show. The Tim Ferriss show. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. a good one. Yep. So I mentioned the one thing. Um, let's see. The, Brian Tracy is another one I like. Um, Goals was a good book. I liked that one a lot. Didn't Brian Tracy <clears throat> do Eat That Frog too? He did. I haven't read that yet. It's I on my I list. I love that one. It's yeah. On do list. but Eat That Frog is basically do the scariest or the 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 biggest and or scariest thing first. Mm-hmm. similar to your one thing, but a little different approach. So, yep. Uh, the millionaire next door, uh, as a man thinketh, think and grow rich. These are all books I read early on, um, or listened to the e-myth and actually the e-myth real estate investor is a one that I've, I'm still early into. Um, but that's that along with four hour work week are what I'm designing my business around. Now I'm trying to adjust it to fit more of that sort of model. Okay. What about podcasts and stuff like that? Do you have any podcasts? I listen to podcasts constantly. The Joe Rogan show was one for- We love you, Joe. For entertainment purposes. I've been a Joe Rogan fan for, God, 15 years or something now. The first time I saw him do um, stand-up, and then when I learned when I saw him on the UFC and learned he was uh, into MMA and everything and did jiu-jitsu- <clears throat> it just really connected with him and I, I really appreciate it. And I've learned a shitload from his podcast in terms of the, just the variety of guests they has. Um, ask Gary V that podcast. That's oh, a good one. I, I love, love Gary V. Yeah. Gary V near Chuck. That's good. 
John Lee Dumas, uh, Entrepreneur on Fire, EO Fire. I like that one. Hit yeah. and miss sometimes, though. It is. It's a good show. I've learned a lot from him. He actually did a... It's well-produced and well-thought-out, though. It is. And it was really... I've modeled a lot of my my podcast after some of the tips I've learned from him. <clears throat> In fact, he did a an intro to my podcast that all that you guys will hear on the first episode. Which um, is flipthispodcast.com by October 31st, 2015. First episode will be out. That's right. Uh, Smart Passive Income with Pat Flynn. That is an amazing podcast. I'm learning a ton about digital marketing, email marketing from I'm going to go sign up for that one. That's a really good I'm one. I'm glad I asked. Smart Passive Income. I heard about him through JLD, um, Entrepreneur on Fire. I think he was a guest. And I'm like, Pat Flynn, I've, I've heard that name. And then I searched it. It's really, really good. Um, some real estate related ones. Um, I've been kind of checking out actually Sean Terry's podcast is amazing. Um, he is heavily into selling his, um, his events and things like that, which nothing is, wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, but I should always be selling a hundred percent. The stage in the game that I'm in, I'm looking for certain things from it and I don't get it as much from his show as I used to. However, as a new wholesaler, a new wannabe real estate investor, that is a phenomenal place to start. I have personally purchased some of his information products yep. too, and I am not against doing that. And yeah. his products were excellent. Yes. You just have to be careful, folks. Do your due diligence. For sure. Not every guru actually has decent course or does what they say they're doing. Yeah. I found Sean Terry to be very trustworthy. And he actually tell when you sign up, he tells you his numbers, his For real sure. company numbers. Yeah. Which I really liked about, and that's one of the things I like about Entrepreneur on Fire is they do their monthly income report every month. Well, that's and, what I like about Tracy too. Yeah, she tells people stuff. Yep, you, this is my numbers. These are exactly what I'm doing. This is how I got there. Um, because if you're hiding your numbers or if you're you're lying about your numbers, what else yeah. are you lying about? What Transparency, not, folks. Yeah. So, <clears throat> hardcore history. Dan Carlin, love that. One. Love that. That's I haven't listened podcast. to that as much lately, though. I've been Me either. A long it's been a long time, time, but that's but, a good one. Um, Oh, the best real estate investing advice ever. I actually just picked this podcast up because uh, our friend Josh Sterling was on it. Yeah. So I learned about it. It's pretty cool. I like it. Um, I've learned some things from it. So it's pretty neat. I've been listening that to fear, that. Joe, Joe Fairless. Joe Fairless. Yeah. I don't, right. I've never, I just, first time I heard it's probably yeah, about Jeff and Josh old. were on that. Yeah. I haven't heard of Jeff's episode yet. Wait, so that so Josh, that's epicpropertymanagement.com. Yep. And Jeff. Um, he has a, a small blog on bigger pockets, which I'll put the link. That's Jeff Robinowitz. I'll put the link to. He's not so much into the social media blogging yeah. app. <clears throat> he says it's my fault. He's now blogging. So I feel like <laughs> I need to promote and put this out. Dear God, somebody do business with him so we can tie it back to the blog. So five years from now, I don't look like an asshole and I made him blog and do all these things and it never worked out because every conversation he's talking about, well, I'm not sure this will work for my business model. So yeah, go give Jeff Rabinowitz some love, please. I love Jeff too. So yeah. the Tim Ferriss show is another part. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Most of them are, are business real estate related, mostly business related than real estate because most of the real estate podcasts that I have heard aren't geared towards people in my position. Um, business is business though, right? Running successful yeah. businesses already. It's more for newer investors, which is one of the things I wanted to, with my podcast, I'm going to start at the beginning, but it's going to be a journey where these people that start out learning with me, 
I'm going to get to a point where I'm talking about the things I'm doing in my business now that are higher level. But I didn't think starting there was the right place. Oh, start at the beginning. I thought I'm about really starting at the right place. This, by the, the way, I'm really looking forward to this. And one more, one more quick tease for that show. I will have uh, recorded seller calls. Ooh. So live, me, probably some of Jeremy. Hell yeah. On the phone, live, quote unquote live. With real sellers. sellers. Real people, real deals. The good, the bad, the fuck yous, the come Ugly. over and sign right now. So Plenty of it. You'll hear a good variety of both. I am really looking forward to this. <clears throat> this is going to be real exciting. There's not too many people doing this kind of stuff yeah. either. So flipthispodcast.com. Go to it. You're definitely not going to miss. This is going to be an awesome podcast. I'm excited to do it. I'm really looking forward to the seller calls. That's going to be awesome. I put it out on Facebook. That was one of the highest recommended or uh, requested things. Heck yeah. yeah. What's better than where the metal meets the meat, folks? That's right. Where the money is made, how the sausage is made. That's where you want to see. What do you say? What do you do? Yep. Objections. How do you overcome them? What do sellers are concerned about? How do you get them to the closing table? How do you book the appointment? You're going to cover all that, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to that. Anything else? Well, the last one's more of just a personal, uh, as a male business, married business owner, warrior on fire. Warrior on fire. That is a phenomenal podcast, but it's not for everyone. It is for guys like me that are, uh, male married entrepreneurs, eventually, I mean, essentially, and that are, um, they just want better. They want it all. So his sort of mantra is body, being, balance, business, having it all in those four core areas. Well, it's like a lifestyle. It is. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And we have some friends in common. We have some, uh, <clears throat> uh, he's got real estate background. We have some of the same interests and things in the background. So I was connected with him and, uh, he started the podcast. It's amazing. I listen to it, uh, every day. So, okay. I may want to listen to that. And other than that, I mean, I listen to a lot of sports radio when I need a break. Um, I generally, it, it kind of goes in waves too. When, when the, the Tigers grown men suck. talk about games, when the Tigers are out of it and suck, I, I, I tend not to listen as much when the lions do what they did Monday night, which was <sighs> brutal. Yes. Lose. <laughs> Get screwed by the refs again. They were no, when, anyway. when they lose, they were, they were going to, but. But I, I was sucked in. I watched the whole thing right up until the end. I'm going to get hate mail on that one. That's what happens. So that, no, not from Lions fans. Yeah, like, yeah. No, you're right, man. No, yeah. you're right. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, Jeremy, fuck it. you. The Lions are going to win the Super Bowl this no. year. No. no. No, Lions fans don't talk like that. They don't? Good. Same old Lions. That's, That's how far out of sports yeah. I am. So where we are now in the sports world, in October of 2015, all of our teams are pretty much done, except now the Red Wings are starting and the Pistons are starting. But... Uh, my two favorite sports are baseball and football and MMA is actually above both of those. So that's how I spend my, I need a break time is usually listening to that. But when I need a break from that, it's usually just some, some music or something, hip hop, old school hip hop. Yeah. Dre. Dre. Although new Dre. Yeah. Oh new man. Dre's his new awesome. album is amazing. <clears throat> Anything else? No, man. I just, uh, I'm, I'm glad to be able to be on here. Um, I like, Producing the podcast with you is cool to be a guest. It's a little different to be the guy being had to have you on, man. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited for flip this, and I hope that people will tune in and check it out, and uh, obviously give us the feedback on uh, what kind of questions you would like answered. You can uh, you can tweet at me at Steve Londo. 
Um, or you can hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash Steve Londo. Hell yeah. And you should. I want to thank you for coming out, Steve. I really appreciate it. He gave keys of the kingdom, folks. Make sure you go to stevebuyshousesfast.com, stevebuyshousesfast.com. If you got a house you need to get rid of, fast. 313cashdeals.com. If you're looking for deals, you're looking to get started, please go back and listen to How Not to Look Like an Ass Clown. And the up-and-coming, I'm greatly looking forward to it, flipthispodcast.com by October 31st, by Halloween of this year, Steve's going to have that done. And obviously go to Twitter's at Steve Londo, L-O-N-D-E-A-U, for those listening, and all this will be in the show notes. And if you enjoy and find this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends and associates and people who you think might enjoy this or benefit from this. This is a free podcast, and the sharing really does help. We're trying to get this out everywhere, trying to drum up business leads. That is the purpose. If you enjoy this podcast, this will work by your liking, sharing, and feedback. And if you have feedback, comments, or suggestions, questions I'm not asking, maybe even people I should interview or have on the podcast, and you're not a total loser, ask clown. Go to renegadedetroit.com, renegadedetroit.com. I know the website isn't all that. It's being worked on. This is on a shoestring budget, folks, so bear with me. Hopefully, by the end of October, it'll be up. If you're interested in attending the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegadedetroitinvestors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. And you can find me on the Twitterverse at Jeremy Burgess. If you prefer to watch this and other, I have hundreds of videos about real estate investing on YouTube. Hello, YouTube. Thank you. Go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers. And as I wrap up this podcast, I do want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I don't know what those steps are. I'm not here to make those decisions for you. I just know there's distractions in life, man. Lots of distractions like keys falling, mistakes, poisonous people. Maybe you didn't get a great start in life. I know what that is. Maybe you end up hanging out with the wrong people. Maybe you end up joining a gang or the Navy or doing something stupid. Man, it is not too late. Ron Walraven started over. Steve started over. I started over. You too can start over. Do something every day that gets you closer to goals, even if it's one step. Stick with it, folks, all right? And thank you for listening. I really do appreciate your attention. And until next time, crush it.